0: Hi, I'm Kent Martin from the Small Business Communications Podcast, and you're listening to the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network.
1: Two Guys Talking is an internet radio show, podcast, providing you with complete, detailed, and always educational perspectives when it comes to television. Feature films, DVDs, Blu-rays, and the hottest in online entertainment. This week, it's two guys talking, Captain America, The Winter Soldier, 2014, directed by the Russo Brothers. The stripes of red, white, and blue conjure images of all kinds, depending on who you are, where you live, but more importantly, what kind of comic books you read. The Marvel comic universe has become a behemoth that has so many tendrils, tentacles, and details. Well, if you stop paying attention for just a brief series of days, you may just be lost in detail oblivion. We now live in a world where television series tie into movies, movies tie into internet and Blu-ray shorts, and back again into the smaller HD screen regularly. Captain America The Winter Soldier does this, with definitive skill, with brazen courage, much like that of Cap diving at the back of a cargo lifter with no parachute. The action, the storytelling, the character engagement, the world building. It's all here inside the second offering of everyone's favorite thought to be dead, but isn't super soldier, Captain America, the winter soldier. Was this movie as good as the first? Is it a fitting piece into the mosaic that is the Marvel Comics universe? Strap on your helmet, pull on your red gloves, don your vibranium shield via the magnetic clasps, because it's time for the Two Guys Talking perspective review of Captain America, the Winter Soldier, here on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Greetings, everybody. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Chris Giuseppe, your other host.
0: And I'm Paul Spataro, your third host.
1: And wow, we're in for another great review of one of my favorite properties, I think of all time, guys. Another... Captain America movie. It's the definitive bolt, rivet, giant piece of connective tissue inside of everything Marvel for me, and I can't wait to talk about this film, guys. A quick little bit of uh, introductory uh, for all of us that are here. Chris and Paul have only just met recently in the last few minutes via the, the prelude inside of this episode. Uh, Paul, why don't you introduce yourself
0: quick? I'm Paul Spataro. If you've heard me previously on uh, Two Guys Talking, I was involved in the 2009 Star Trek reboot uh, review that we did, and Mike and I have worked some on uh, some of the reviews for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Agent Mm -hmm. Carter.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, which is coming up again real soon. I'm on the Two two True Freaks Network, (laughs) where I host Back to the Bins, a show looking back at old comic books, Mm -hmm. and I am a co-host on Listen to the Prophets, in which we are going episode by episode uh, reviewing uh, episodes of the Star Trek show Deep Space Nine.
1: Which is one of, uh, one of it is my favorite Star Trek series, but also a very interesting podcast because I don't know anybody that would, except for maybe me, that would instantly go back and say, oh yeah, Deep Space Nine is my favorite series. Oh, but it is. I, I was just explaining that to Chris a couple of days ago when we started talking about who was going to participate in this podcast, Paul. Chris is not a definitive Star Trek Geek fan?
2: No, I I like um, I did like the next generation. You know, I, I like the original Star Trek. I mm-hmm. watched some of those. I like the next generation. Is, is it the but bald I, thing, Chris? Is that what's it, going it? Is right? if okay. you know if the bald guy's in charge, that's me. I mean if you ever seen a picture of me, uh, you know and and uh, yeah, I'm drawn to that. But no, I thought. I did like the Next Generation. I thought that was a, yeah. a great series. And you were telling me that no, Deep Space Nine. That's the that's the series you need to watch.
1: Yeah, the, the the character arcs, the ability to go from season to season and have character arcs that last across multi seasons. Right. That's when you start talking about really engaging, deep story writing. And that's what we're going to focus on a lot inside of this review of uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier as well. Right. Chris, why don't you introduce yourself?
2: Yeah, I'm Christy Giuseppe. I'm a police captain. I've been in law enforcement for 24 years. I am also a host on the WhatCopsWatch.com, on the Two Guys Talking podcast network. Mm-hmm. And You myself. love Captain America, <clears throat> frankly. I do I do love this movie. I you, thought this you, was you, an outstanding yeah, movie. You, and you, I've you. liked most of the Marvel yeah. Uh, marvel movies that have come you
1: through. and i have talked many times about marvel offerings in general and where we always ske- skew down to when it's all said and done is something about captain america right and so that's why i wanted for sure to get you involved inside this review the review again of captain america the winter soldier the second offering of what i hope is a whole bunch of captain america offerings uh some quick housekeeping what cops watch now, I know Chris mentioned it very briefly, but I want everyone to go check out the most recent episode of WhatCopsWatch.com, where Chris, myself, and also Paul Bastien, the owner of local Ultimate Defense Firearms and Training Grounds, came in to run through the 10 most prolific weapons of TV and movie history, mm-hmm. Volume 1. And, Mm -hmm. folks, it's a great list. We're not going to spoil any of it because we don't do spoilers here Two Guys Talking. Mm -hmm. But you can find all of that right now by going over to whatcopswatch.com. You can also find all of that inside the show notes for this episode. Deep Trekkin, revealing the magic of Deep Space Nine. Oh, we've already given you a a, a very tiny stroke of what awaits you over at Listen to the Prophets. But, Paul, Paul, which uh, which episode have you recently done on that? I know that there's at least a couple that I saw.
0: We're we're into Season 2 couldn't tell you exactly which episode, probably about episode 15 or so. Yeah. That's as far as we've gotten in the recording. Uh, <laughs> we, we try, we're trying to get a, ahead of the game. As far as what's been posted to date, I believe we're just at the very beginning of season two, maybe about three episodes in. Yeah.
1: And for for those of you that know nothing about Star Trek, much less Star Trek Deep Space Nine, season two is when it really did start to come into its own. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it made it into the leap of really good fashion storytelling, Right at the right at the eight or nine episode level inside of season two and remember back then was when you had twenty plus episodes a season mm-hmm. inside of television. so you have a bunch of content which Paul and his buddies I'm certain now know. When you've got that many episodes, it's a, lot, it's a lot of work, especially looking back on it now so many years later. But it really is engaging stuff. The episodes aren't just great. The chemistry of what you guys have constructed inside that podcast is a lot of fun, and I encourage all of you to go listen to it. Paul, the, the best way to get to them web-wise is how?
0: Probably the easiest way is through iTunes and just do a search for Listen to the Prophets. I believe it's put up there as Two True Freaks presents Listen to the Prophets. Right, right. Uh, but you can also go to two twotruefreaks.com.
1: Yeah, you can also go to the show notes for this episode of the Two Guys Talking podcast over at twoguystalking.com, and you'll see banners and all kinds of awesome in the front page of Two Guys Talking that will lead you to all the links that we talk about inside this episode. So guys, without any further ado, let's get deep into the perspective review of Captain America, the Winter Soldier, a second offering of True
3: America. Sponsored by the St. Charles Office Center. Sprint's Relay, Missouri, and Acoustica's Mixed Craft Recording Software.
4: Uh, Captain
1: America! The Winter Soldier. The hype! So what was the atmosphere on the internet, and what was going on when you guys saw this film? One of the neatest pieces of what's going on with Marvel in general is the way that they construct their hype machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not an accidental thing. This is not the internet sparks some fervor. Mm-hmm. This is a, It is a well-oiled machine that has pieces and hooks built into previous movies that structure and feed what comes, mm-hmm. along with trailers and pieces parts and little bits that are tucked into DVD and Blu-ray releases. And so it was thick when this movie was coming out. Sure,
2: absolutely. The merchandising, we went to see it, I remember... We didn't see it right away because the theaters were going to be packed. Oh, yeah. We knew that mm-hmm. because of all the advertising that they did prior to. I remember when I went and saw it, we, we went to the theater where we had the recliners and they, they served the food mm-hmm. and so sure. on and so, And, uh-huh. and uh, I liked the first Captain America movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one, I thought this one, I liked this one more, I think. I yeah. know you, you Paul, disagreed with me. But Paul,
1: where I, did you see this film?
0: I saw it at a local theater just about a mile or so from my house, It's so the a smaller theater. But you know, nice screens, nice sound, and uh, generally we can get in even on a on a big opening without it being sold out. Okay. As you, you talk about the hype for this one, put it in perspective with me as a as a huge comic book fan. Basically, any comic book movie that comes out, I would be on board for. But by the time this came out, the Marvel Cinematic Universe was pretty much a runaway train. Oh yeah, and and was picking up people along the way who had, who never had any interest in comic books before. Uh, I, I dare say, uh, perhaps, Chris, you might be one of those.
2: I am. I am. I agree. <laughs> yeah.
0: And then by the time this came out, I, I knew that, that something was really going on, because by the time this came out, my daughter, who's now 15 years old, was anxiously awaiting it. And it wasn't just because she thinks that Chris Evans is dreamy, but uh, I'm sure that didn't hurt it any. The, the hype machine was huge, but I... Don't even think that the hype machine was all Marvel at that point. I, I think the the fan base had grown to such an extent that the, the anticipation for this movie, uh, along with all the Marvel Universe movies pretty much, was huge. As we'll talk further, I don't think it disappointed. No,
1: it definitively did not disappoint. And I think something else that we couldn't possibly bring to bear for anything else inside of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, much less the televised universe That's the piece that was so awesome here, is that very much, as I quoted inside the intro of this episode, we went from a television series that spilled directly into this feature film inside of gargantuan, huge theaters with giant sound systems and full Mm -hmm. theaters, Mm -hmm. back into the television theater. Right. That's something special, and it's something that Marvel continues to pioneer as we continue on inside of this wonderful journey that happens where you're taking characters off of the colored page, putting them into one universe, taking them from that universe, putting them into another universe, and then back into the previous universe like they never missed a step.
2: Well, it it demands a respect for the writing, too, to write, And, and, and as a writer, I know how difficult it is to interweave a plot. From book to book to book, but you know to do what they did, where you have a television series, you go into a movie, mm-hmm. and then back into a television series with that writing, and to keep it in order and to keep it interesting. And I didn't know that mm-hmm. because I did not watch the well, television you series the television show at the time. Yeah, right? mm-hmm. until afterwards. Mm-hmm. I think that was very very well done, and I think that my appreciation and respect for the writing that they did in that. Uh, it's just tremendous.
1: Well, and it's unmatched. I, I think what, what Marvel, Paul kind of touched on a little bit with the runaway train thing, but it's not just a one runaway train. It's a runaway train on a track that leads mm-hmm. to awesome. Right. I, I, you know, are you ready for more comic book movies? Yes, please. May I have three more? That would be right. great. And that's where all of this is heading towards. It, it is spectacular. It's, it's not matched. There is nothing else that exists inside of entertainment that matches it at all. Right. Nothing.
0: Right. Yeah. As far as I can tell, it's unprecedented to have, the way Chris was describing it, to have a TV series ongoing like that and then shift into a movie during the actual season, and then come back into the TV series and pick up from where the movie left off. And, And the movie invigorated that TV show Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you'd agree with me, Mike. It went oh, from being a good TV show to being must-watch, at least for a period of time there, yeah, that, well, I, as I a think, result of this movie.
1: I think you hit it right on the head there, especially as a Marvel fan. Uh, and for those of you that don't know, that are only listening to two guys talking stuff, we have a podcast on the network called the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. Mm-hmm. And not uh, so strangely, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D follows every episode of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC. And so it was wonderful knowing that we're going to go from that platform to then into this platform inside of our perspective review back into what happens inside of every weekly watch review of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It was tremendous. It, it builds a, it amps a volume of authority, uh, some really great anticipation, but then it does not disappoint by even the twists and turns that you get inside of the film that still don't disappoint when it comes back to the smaller screen. Right. That's magic. It's it's tremendous and it really does make the hype level live up to a real real perceived value point. I agree. That's where we ask you guys, where did you guys see Captain America, The Winter Soldier? And what did you guys think of this wonderful twist from television into feature film back into television, into comic cons during the summer? I mean, it it really did ride well. And we want to know what you think. Go over to our website over at 2GuysTalking.com. That's the number 2GuysTalking.com. Click anywhere inside the contact area on the right-hand side of the page. Fill out the quick web form and tell us, what did you think of the hype? inside of Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Captain America, The Winter Soldier. The money. Ah, it's everyone's favorite point inside of every perspective review to talk about cash, dinero, the green. Chris, do you have any idea what this film made domestically over its run? So far, now? I don't
2: know. $750 million?
1: $750 million. Just a bit over? Paul, any ideas?
0: I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bail on this because I cheated. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, well, th- this one just domestically took in $260 million. Just a giant corn combine of, of cash. Okay. I love saying the words corn combine of cash.
2: Oh, I thought you were asking me overall.
1: Oh, no, just domestically. Okay. Yeah, just domestically. And then uh, worldwide.
2: <laughs> I'm still oh, way over.
1: <laughs> uh, well, no, actually, you're, you're not. Uh, <laughs> how about the foreign take? Any guess on the foreign take, Chris? I don't
2: know. I would say $300 million more on the foreign take. Okay, Give me a total. J- just a bit low. Okay. So
1: it was $455 million uh, foreign alone. And again, I love to say the words corn combine of cash because foreign intake was just ungodly for this. Hmm. And I... I can't quite put my finger on that. It wasn't released first foreign, so I guess just the the interest and zeal in having it
0: I, I don't know i don't
2: know I don't know any guesses.
0: I do remember there being some apprehension uh, mm-hmm. as to whether or not Captain America was going to sell overseas
2: mm-hmm. that's that's what I was going to ask is it how how is a movie called Captain America mm-hmm. popular over in other countries?
1: One, I think the answer is, of course, it is to the tune of another half as much money made. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah, that's right. So keep on making the money, America. It, it, that's it's, it's extraordinary. Any idea on the uh, on the budget for this, Chris?
2: We discussed this before, mm-hmm. but I luckily for you, my memory is not that good. <laughs> so I I would say what
4: I think you said, seventy five million. It's one
1: hundred and seventy million. One hundred and seventy. Which of course, in the first weekend, it made back ninety five million dollars. So that instantly means sequel, which they already had planned anyway. They've already got several sequels that are planned. The money always confirms a sequel, and this was no exception, obviously. Uh, Again, a giant haul for a giant movie to the tune of $715 million to date. And it is. It is a giant corn combine of cash. Captain America. The Winter Soldier. Every movie that we talk about has goods and bads, let's get to the goods inside of Captain America The Winter Soldier. The value of veterans and those habits that follow. This was an excellent mix. Of taking what is modern day war activity, as well as the veterans, but also the the mind think of the veterans at least twice inside this film.
2: Yeah, I agree. And the integration of you know Captain America starting out, he was the World War II veteran, but right in the beginning of this film, they integrate the modern day veterans, you know, the veterans of Desert Storm and Afghanistan mm-hmm. and such. And I like how they mixed that together. I thought that that really. Came off well in the beginning and set that patriotic tone for the movie.
1: I think not only did it set a patriotic tone, it didn't bash people over the head with patriotism. And I know a lot of people get eked when I when I say something like that. It is a reference. It makes you think about it, and then the story moves on.
0: That's and, how and the story, the movie referenced and made pretty clear, at least to somebody such as myself who has no background in the military or anything. But it seemed very realistic in what they were talking about and referenced the price that they paid to serve their country without ever becoming america bashing. Yes. yes. And I think that's quite the feat these days because I think a lot of times they fall into a much more preachy mode which this movie did not and I kind of appreciated the tone that they set for it.
2: And it continued with the, the camaraderie that yes. you often see you know within the military and I liked that. It kept that up and like you said it wasn't I don't think it was overboard.
1: No, it, it doesn't. And it also doesn't get on the nose ever inside this film. Mm-hmm. I think uh, you have the the patriot whacking, we can call it. But then you also have the where it's on the nose where, you know, you're kind of saluting to everybody when you mention the words Captain America. Mm-hmm. None of that happened inside of this film and it hasn't.
4: Right.
5: And
1: uh, uh, to go back to Paul's comments, I really do appreciate the adept hand where you can mention things and they matter, but they don't matter where it feels like you're being whacked with a phone book. Uh, it is an adept hand and an adept writing skill set that Marvel has mastered inside this film.
0: Agreed. I think it's one of the things that Marvel has stressed in their movies, and I think it's one of the reasons they've been so successful, is they're not trying to create a look. They're trying to create a feel. Yeah. And in creating that feel, they concentrate on the writing, and they try to make it a, a an entertaining script but also a, an adult and sophisticated script, excuse me, that can, that can appeal to children and adults alike. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's not an easy balance to hit. Yeah, and all. they seem to hit it consistently.
1: Well, and there's a, there's a piece, uh, in fact, a vocabulary word that we're going to hit on this next point. The patriotic backdrop of D.C. and creating a historical atmosphere with historical landmarks and stuff. This is a tremendous homage to not just our country, but the history of our country. Right. Something that Chris noted uh, right as we were watching this inside the theater at my home. Th- they are able to take just the very few shots where you've got Cap running speedily by uh, Sam saying, on your left. And they've made a mosaic of our absolutely most heralded historical areas mm-hmm. inside of Washington, D.C.
2: Right. Absolutely. And I think that that set the tone for the patriotic backdrop, and as you said, they hint at it, and they allow the viewer to come up with their own ideas, their own imagination, and just buy in mm-hmm. to the plot, buy yeah. into the film. Yeah. And uh, I thought it was, I thought it was outstanding.
1: What I also really liked about this scene was that you get to see a, a not a wounded, but a warrior, a done warrior, mm-hmm. alongside another warrior who is a super soldier, and you can see why he's super. Mm-hmm. You see the guy that was an elite parajumper. Mm-hmm. Doing his laps uh, outside the fountain in DC. And then you see what the hell is going on over there with Captain America. And that is exactly what it's supposed to look like. And the- he, he is this, he is a man. There's no right. doubt about that. And right. he's the man everybody wants to be. But he's a man asterisk. And it's right. great to see that depicted here. It's great.
2: And they, they show those differences, but they also show the similarities to mm-hmm. the things that they have in common. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think they wrap that camaraderie back yeah. into it yeah. you know they they still have these things in common they still relate i love the dialogue when they're they're talking about how they've been to battle you know and the ground feels too hard you know your bed doesn't feel right when you get back mm-hmm. you can't you can't sleep on it and so forth i think that 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 hits home and that probably hits home with a lot of a lot of veterans too so
1: oh yeah when i think also you've got the uh I, this bleeds great into this next point that we've got also and the list inside of other countries Again, we're talking about the camaraderie of not only a black and a white dude, but a couple of veterans that are, what, 70 years apart? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there are commonalities that go across, but then we come across the list, where Cap is making a list of things that must be experienced. Right. And what I found really interesting, and Paul, I don't know if you got into the features at all of the Captain America Blu-ray, but inside of there, they actually go through a listing of the other lists mm-hmm. that were made available, depending on where the film was shown country-wise.
0: Oh, I um, did not see that. Yeah, that would and, be very interesting. Uh, you know, I, 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 I'm going to have to go back and watch that.
1: Yeah, just having coming back to think of it, that might explain a lot of why you have a lot of popularity inside of different countries, because they bothered to essentially cater to different um, value systems and structures inside of other countries, inside the list that they were compiling.
2: Within a historic timeline? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Very, very unique. Yeah,
1: And again, another, uh, master stroke of writing. Great stuff.
0: Now, just, just to touch on, just, you mentioned it quickly and I, I don't want to let it go by without touching on it. In the comic books, you mentioned the camaraderie between, uh, Cap and Sam. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, Sam in the comic books is not a veteran as he is in the, in the movies, which mm-hmm. uh, the translation doesn't hurt the story at all. But in the comic books, Cap and the Falcon are partners and very, very, very close. They're best friends. Mm-hmm. And, uh. They really captured that feel here, uh, and they did it quickly because they only meet at the beginning of the movie. But you truly get a feel for how these two are, are kindred spirits and that yes. there's a brotherhood between them. Yeah, right. Yeah,
1: there and, was ne- and, there was never a time that I felt that the it was a strained relationship. In fact, the loyalty that you get later on from Sam towards Cap almost with without question. It's just it's right. a it, it's Captain America.
0: Right. Right. So Why do I have to consider change the story? Yeah, you know, to make Sam a, a paratrooper and. And a special, I guess some sort of special forces paratrooper, which he was not in the comics. So you're changing the story dramatically, but you still captured the feel of what you had in the comic books. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and I think that's that's very, very important to to the translation. I, I think the the majority of your viewing audience are not comic book readers just because you wouldn't make quite three quarters of a billion dollars of comic book readers. but <laughs> right. you're you're satisfying them along with the non-readers. And again, I think it's another tough balance to to maintain, and yet they do it so well.
1: The value of concise exposition. Chris, when we were talking about this in the prelude, you'd ask me, what is an exposition scene? And what I always tell people for exposition scenes is when you hear the word exposition, especially inside of a review from something like Two Guys Talking, Mm -hmm. what I want you to instantly think of so that you've got a fundamental understanding is a map. And on the map is a circle on one end, a dashed line, and then at the end there's an X mm-hmm. on the end of the dashed line. And if you remember that as everything exposition, you'll now understand that an exposition scene is where somebody whips out a map, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, very often it is now digitally compiled where there's this spinny wireframe map of whatever it is they're trying to do. And then someone will go, okay, this is what we got to do, everybody. Pay attention. And they'll go, first got to do blah, 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 blah. And he points at the circle. And then he'll say, and then we've got to circumvent the blah, 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 blah. And as he follows his finger across the dotted line, eventually the finger arrives at the X where they've got to get or everything fails. Mm -hmm. That is essentially the definition of an exposition scene. And what I loved about this film is that there's not just one. There's got to be probably seven or eight inside this film. But they never, ever... Feel like somebody standing in front of a map simply going, okay, time to go from A to X. Ready and go. You never have that inside this film. And that, my friend, is adept storytelling.
2: Well, and it's difficult in writing, too. It's it's difficult to do. When you open so many loops, yeah. you've got to remember to close those yeah. and to come up with a unique way to have your audience and your viewers to, If it, if it's too superficial, they're going to guess it. It's going to be boring. Yeah. Okay, yeah, but yeah. To, to take each one of those and create a unique way to have that audience member uh, think through it and uh, spark creative thought among that that person who's viewing it, it's difficult, yeah. especially when you have all these loops open. You have to remember to close them all. But they did a they did a great job, and kudos to the writers.
1: Yeah, yeah. The cast. Let's talk about them all. Just kidding. We're going to hit on just a few of the ones that really, really do make a difference here. We're going to start off with the one that Paul's daughter is obviously in love with. Uh, when I very, The very first time when I heard they, they had cast Captain America, and it was the guy that played the Human Torch inside the original Fantastic Four film, I didn't cringe because I knew that he pulled that character off.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: He, he really did. Chris, Chris did a wonderful job inside of that. And he was Johnny Storm, and so I didn't have fear. In fact, he even had he had the the beginning pieces of the bod that was already there, and so they just had to structure that. And after watching what they'd done with Hugh Jackman becoming Wolverine, and mm-hmm. uh, the, the ability for Marvel to take a lot of people that don't really look anything like what the comic book characters look like, uh, Chris, the sample would be Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Wolverine is actually five foot two
4: mm-hmm. in the comic books, okay, but
1: he's built like a square. You know, Mm -hmm. it's it's a brick essentially. Mm -hmm. He he is five foot two square, Mm -hmm. and inside of the movies, you have Hugh Jackman. who, If I'm not mistaken, Paul is he six foot four?
0: Is is he? That's all. I wasn't sure. Six Six foot two. I I know he's over six foot, foot, definitely. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and and he's certainly not the way Wolverine is portrayed in the comics or the way he has been.
1: No, and I mean even the very first looks at what they built for. Uh, Wolverine inside of the original X-Men film where, the, where I knew they were going to get me was when they put him inside the fighting cage inside the original X-Men film. Mm-hmm. And then they put a cowboy hat on him and shoved him into the, the frozen tundra of Canada. And I'm like, there he is. Look, it's Wolverine. Mm-hmm. And it didn't matter that the guy was way too tall. And that he was way too lanky. Cause back then he didn't have that ripness that he's got inside of the most recent Wolverine film. Mm-hmm. He, he, he wasn't fat. Right. And he right. wasn't. Wow! Look at that guy that looks nothing like Wolverine, but they did it. They did it with the the clothing. They did it with the hair. But more importantly, Hugh did it with the attitude. The without question, across the board, he has nailed Wolverine with attitude. Mm-hmm. And they've done the same thing here with Captain America. You and I talk about it at least once a week, mm-hmm. where you've got uh, you've got the body that just does not quit. Uh, I don't know how Chris is able to keep his tone and everything, but it. All the pictures that I see with him, except for the massive beard that he has, Mm -hmm. he looks like nothing changes on his body at all. So he's either eating ridiculously clean or he's got a he's got a coach that follows him around and smacks donuts out of his hand. Uh, (laughs) But he looks tremendous still, even in the in the middle of not filming anything. He looks tremendous. And they have created a character here inside of Captain America that I just I don't see anything else that matches that currently
2: but it, you know as paul said i believe before too they're trying to reach out to both audiences mm-hmm. as in the comic book fans mm-hmm. and the non-comic book fans so when i see wolverine i don't know cuz i never read comic books and you know the the movie comes together and it flows well and mm-hmm. and uh it's uh it's interesting to hear from comic book fans that mm-hmm. that, that that would be perhaps something that may disturb disturb you but they've pulled it off so well and they've written it in so well mm-hmm. that it doesn't so yeah. yeah
0: there is nothing about the casting of uh, chris evans that just, i think disturbs anybody who's fans of the comic books he took that character and brought him to life on the screen
1: yeah i it's fair to say very much like he did inside the original captain america film which uh total biases outward and showing to everybody i loved that movie that is, without question, the best translation from comic book. Go ahead and get that if you need to.
2: Can we pause?
1: Yeah, go time? ahead. Okay. I'll finish out my sentence. We'll wait for you. Okay. <clears throat> that was the best translation from comic book to cinematic film universe that I've ever had. That I can literally look, Paul, at every eight or nine minutes inside of that film, and I see something ripped from a comic book page. And that goes, again, back to really great storytelling. But really innate direction inside of a film universe
0: and and let's not sell short the direction in this movie the russo brothers who directed this movie before they did this they were famous for uh directing episodes of shows like community
1: uh-huh well and uh the rocketeer if i'm not mistaken also isn't
0: it no the, the, well, the oh i'm I'm you know what we're confusing our two things the, the russo brothers directed this film uh the rocketeers director all of a sudden I'm drawing a blank, I'm sorry. He, he directed the first Captain America movie.
1: Yeah, well, and I, I absolutely love that. I, the, the, that, um, that tinny shine that was on the back of the Rocketeer's Rocket Booster is mm-hmm. what mo- made the first Captain America film for me. Every single frame of that movie, in particular the parts with Haley Atwell, uh, hubba hubba hubba,
0: just uh, magical. Yeah. yeah, she was awesome in it. Uh, Howard Stark, That's okay. the actor who played Loki, Tom, yeah, Tom, Tom
1: Hiddleston. Hiddleston,
0: there you go. I I had thought that uh, the actor who ended up playing the Red Skull would have been an excellent Loki, and then I saw the Thor movie and I was like, nah, they they nailed it. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. well, age-wise, and he age who played the Red Skull and he did an awesome job on that.
1: Yeah, age age-wise, especially the the match to Thor's age would have worked perfect or worked perfectly with Tom Hiddleston. Where I don't think it would have worked for uh, you know he was the Master Elf inside of Lord of the Rings. That guy.
0: Yes. Oh yeah, El, uh, Elrond? Yes. Uh, oh, was he? I didn't mm-hmm. know that. That was so uh, Hugo Weaving. Hugo Weaving. There you go. Woohoo! Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he was awesome as the Red Skull, uh, and and now you're you're even seeing which which is a, a smaller part in the first movie. Sebastian Stan as Bucky Barnes, and now we see him in this movie. Just the the casting, it goes to what I was saying earlier about how they're paying attention to every element of the movie. They're not just paying attention to, let's throw a special effects spectacular up on the screen, and our audience Mm -hmm. is stupid, and they'll, they'll love it. They're saying, let's give our audience credit so let's make sure we get the right actors cast in the roles, let's make sure that we get a good script, and let's put up a really good product, and it pays off for them because they make three quarters of a billion dollars on it.
1: Yeah, yeah. and there's, so, there's something else that all of your comments really leading to, and it's something that Chris brought up, is there's actual support for minor characters inside this movie. You don't have a character where it's kind of a, look, they're on screen they just disappear and nothing else happens with them right. there is support for every character that matters inside of this film regardless of it's something as reasonably fly only flying around like what happened with falcon inside of this movie or someone as detailed as captain america giving soliloquies everything in between all has mass
0: or, or even look to uh gary shandling's character <laughs> And how now they brought his character full circle from what he was doing in Iron Man Two, mm-hmm. and now you have a whole another justification for his behavior and his actions in that movie mm-hmm. that make that movie make even more sense in hindsight.
2: Yeah, right. I agree. Every character has a reason. I think it offers to the audience a a chance to go back and rewatch it more than once. Oh yeah, because I've caught things and I've watched this movie a lot. Mm-hmm. And I've caught things the last time when we sat down and watched it that I didn't catch in the first 20 times that I watched it with the kids. Yeah.
1: As did I. As did I. And that really does say something, especially for a modern-day movie, especially one that all of us pay so much attention to originally. Mm -hmm. When you can watch it again and find something else and then have a podcast very much like this one where Paul brings up Gary Shandling and now why his – antics inside of the original the original Iron Man film suddenly make more sense the inclusion of the hindsight of this movie with the original Iron Man film that's tremendous
2: and I think that's their intention oh, to yeah. have you watch it more than once and to have you watch it from beginning to end yeah I mean the things that they do with the credits no we're gonna put a scene after the credits you may miss it so you need to watch all the credits <laughs> and then try to figure out the scene after. Yeah. I mean, they and they do that in every movie now. And yeah. uh, when I'm in the theater, nobody will leave. Yeah. You know, everybody used to get up and walk out during the credits. Nobody will leave anymore.
1: Yeah, they want to see well, that and, last scene. Yeah, and on almost every movie now, that's I, I really do love that that they've given people a reason to. Don't get me wrong; people still don't pay attention to the credits. Right. Uh, I wish they would, and they should, but they don't. Um, but that people will stay and at least experience the credits. And then and <laughs> is a, a
2: step up in a Marvel. You know, in a Marvel movie, mm-hmm. they're definitely going to do that. They've oh, yeah. they've gotten people into the uh, routine mm-hmm. that afterwards we're going to show you something and you better watch this because it's key to the next movie we're coming out with.
0: Yeah. But in in fairness to to the viewing audience, the credits kind of do go by too quick to really pay too close attention to them. Even if you're trying to read every one of them, there's so many names and it's flying by. That's okay, because,
1: Paul, I heard you're coming out with another podcast that actually does read every single credit as it appears on screen. I'm sure we (laughs) would get a huge
0: audience (laughs) for such a thing.
1: (laughs) The guy who's going to be crossbones. The future and the future of the guy that is in the past. Again, you're, you got me already. You're talking about Captain America. The guy that was frozen and saved the planet was found and continues to help save the planet. So I'm sold on Cap. But that they're going to bring in even more great villains that are across the Captain America spectrum, i.e. Crossbones, is going to be extraordinary. Paul, tell us about Crossbones.
0: Frankly, I haven't read everything with Crossbones. That's great. My, Thanks for listening to the Two Guys reading. Talking
1: podcast. We appreciate you listening. Um, bye-bye. <laughs>
0: In, in my reading, he's generally been a henchman for the Red Skull, okay, uh, and was romantically involved in a very kind of sick way uh, with the Red Skull's daughter, who goes by the name Sin. Crossbones is kind of a mercenary, very very bulky guy, almost looks like a uh, Mexican luchador with the mask. That's the one thing, like that, I thought as far as casting goes, the the actor who played him when standing next to Chris Evans, almost looked kind of smallish in comparison, whereas Crossbones is a big hulking guy. Yeah. Uh, now, that said, as written in the, in the movie, he seemed perfectly cast, and he played the part exceptionally well.
1: Yeah, well, and we also haven't seen whatever process is going to help save his life at the end. We see yeah, him that, removed that on a stretcher at the end, sort of almost, yeah, almost unrecognizable. Uh, we obviously don't know what process he's going to be put through to give him the, the seeds for Crossboning.
0: Just uh, another character worth mentioning, who didn't get a a lot of attention, but in the very beginning of the movie, when they're uh, dealing with the ship that has uh, the hostages on it, Mm -hmm. the leader of the the crew of that ship, uh, Batroc, he is a classic Captain America villain as well. He's a a French mercenary Mm -hmm. who wears kind of a funny-looking costume in the comics. They, they. did away with the, co- with the costume, which is just as well. But he's kind of a, a mercenary who can be hired but has a sense of honor just the same and also cannot, be, cannot waste his time for things that don't get him money. If he's fighting Captain America and he can win, but for some reason the chance of making money off of it have gone away, he's probably going to just pack his bags and leave.
6: Yeah.
1: Now, it's but, also another casting uh, wonderment there that's actually George St. Pierre, a real-life UFC fighter, a, a world champion, in fact. And that they were able to cast him and put him inside this movie. Uh, by the way, he also is French-Canadian. So the whole Frenchy-Frenchness of him is absolutely authentic.
2: And from the perspective of someone who knows nothing about comic books, it was uh, interesting. But what it has me doing is asking Mike, oh, hey, is that character in the comic book? Are they going to make something of that character? Because once I started finding out these were prominent characters in the comics, you know, I wanted to know more. So yeah. just another added bonus uh, of mixing those two audiences yeah and i think that it continues to benefit marvel
1: it, and that's another component that chris brings up wonderfully that we haven't really ever talked about and it's that creation of sponge moments inside of people that never had the sponge moment right until this film in fact maybe probably watching it with me inside my theater right a year and a half after the movie came out You'd never even thought of Batroc, the the terrorist. Never
2: knew it. I yeah. never knew. I never knew the other character was a yeah. prominent comic book villain. Mm-hmm. So no, I and,
1: and that's him. extraordinary. I don't know another property that does that. Maybe, maybe one of the Bond properties where you go, hey, I wonder if that villain was actually in the books mm-hmm. or something else inside of the Bond universe. But mm-hmm. other than that, I don't think that really does happen.
2: Well, and it's caused me too on some of these movies to go back and research. Some of the comic book characters, you know, when you go back to the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, Mm -hmm. you know, I went back and researched Thanos and Mm -hmm. some of these other characters. I I never had any knowledge of that, but it just continues to spark that creative thought and that question of, hey, who is this? And luckily I have two people like you that you guys can uh, straighten me out and get me on the right path with this so I can watch this in an educated fashion.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I think the most recent one I remember too is when we finished the most recent Avengers film, Mm -hmm. The Vision, inside of Avengers Age of Ultron. Mm -hmm. That's another great sample where you didn't know anything about this dude named Vision. Nope. Yeah. And that's extraordinary because, well, it's not one-to-one conveyance of the story of either Ultron or The Vision. It's an extraordinarily good... Version of what the story is supposed to be Mm -hmm. that bleeds perfectly into what they've created inside the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It really is good. Agent Sitwell and Agent Hill's crossover from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC. This is extraordinary, and again, it paints that direct composite picture that Marvel's been able to take from the smaller screen into the larger HD screen back into the smaller HD screen without missing a beat.
2: Right, I'm going to take a minor character and I'm going to interweave it through a TV series into a movie and then back it. It's just phenomenal. Yeah. It uh, well,
1: indirectly so uh, that the, the, they've bothered to take Maria Hill from what was kind of uh, a number three inside the original the original Avengers film and make her prominent now inside of the Agents of Shield program. Right, so much so that it is a it's a skateboard. Right, you take your foot off one and you put it on the other one and you don't miss a beat. Right, I love
0: that. Right. Agent, agent Sitwell is an older character originating in the late 60s.
1: Hmm.
0: He was a supporting character in Iron Man's book as an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. who was working as a liaison with Stark Industries and, and, and Iron Man. Uh, and he was, he was portrayed as a very young, ambitious uh, agent, kind of bit off more than he could chew every once in a while. And then he went on to have a, a role in, you know, they had a comic for, for Nick Fury and, and the agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as well. That uh, He had a role in that as well
6: yeah, was uh, Agent he, uh, Hill is
0: a more recent character uh-huh. I couldn't tell you exactly when she was created But I would say Maybe in the early 2000s okay. And there was a point where Nick Fury was relieved Of his command of S.H.I.E.L.D. And she took over as the head
1: Yeah. Can you tell me if uh, Agent Sitwell Was bald by chance?
0: <laughs> no he was not He was a, uh, a blonde haired You know Somewhat thin gentleman Wearing horn rimmed glasses
2: that's probably why I never read the comic. <laughs> That's he just wasn't <laughs> ball. Was, uh? Did so? Did Sitwell go bad in the comics?
0: Not that I ever read. Okay, but I haven't. I have not seen his character in the comics in quite some time. And I would have thought, with his uh, showing up in in the movies and TV show, that he might have been in the comics again at some point. Mm-hmm. And there could be. There was a period of time where I wasn't reading. As sad as that is, but it's possible he appeared during that time and something went on with him. Gotcha. Uh,
1: Violence, velocity, and frames ripped from a comic book. It is probably one of my favorite, if not my favorite, scenes. The entire taking of the assailed ship inside of this movie is beyond extraordinary. The thundering, epic, silent punching of Captain America. His ability to take on two and four people all at the same time with a shield that he only touches for a moment that then does all of this extraordinary activity. And then for some, just somehow appears back in his arm to go and take on the next one. Knowing that there is a series of eight steps that are going to be taken before he ever takes them. And then being able to see that happen. All of those things are showcased inside of this wonderful segment where mm-hmm. the ship gets taken inside this film. And it is, it is, it is the, it is delicious. If it was on a plate, I'd have all kinds of helpings.
2: Right. And, and that was, you know, that was something we were discussing too. the, uh, uh, even aside from him, even aside from captain america the the team that goes in uh, we were looking at the reality of how how real was that uh, going down the sides of the ship hitting you know hitting everything at the same time is that realistic a tactical team or some type of special forces unit maybe it's a time to go out to the audience anybody out there who uh, has that expertise and knowledge? Write us. Yeah. Let us know. Yeah. Because that's a, a question that I had.
1: I actually have a. How a, realistic is it? Yeah, yeah. I actually have a former Navy SEAL operator. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name is Chris Sinog, and he does a series of shoot, like a SEAL, a professional SEAL shooter guy, Ness, mm-hmm. that we'll link to inside the show notes for this episode. Okay. But he might be a guy to ask, because if it's not him that could know, mm-hmm. he's got to know somebody that would know, Absolutely. for sure. Yeah.
0: See, I, I suspect that a lot of the a lot of what we're seeing is not all that realistic right. however it's presented in a way where it feels realistic right. and that's that's the beauty of it to me
2: it's still entertaining uh, yeah
0: absolutely and and maybe if you are and and i'd be interested in that call out because if you are somebody who does have significant knowledge as to what an assault like that would be like mm-hmm. uh maybe maybe they would be not quite so enamored with it because of uh, some differences, or maybe they tell me that I'm an idiot and that it is very realistic. But One of the things that, that you touched on, Mike, that, that is so true to the comic books is the way Cap is with his shield. That That is written as if it's basically an extension of his body and that he always knows exactly how it's going to react when he throws it, where it's going to bounce off, where it's going to hit, and he can ricochet it kind of at, at will. And that, in, in concept, might seem a little far-fetched, But in execution in the movie, it totally seems, I I totally buy it. Hook, line, and sinker.
2: They've developed that, too. You know, when you look at the first movie, and you guys tell me if I'm wrong, but when you look at the first movie, he's kind of developing that. He's not as proficient with it, it seems like, as in this movie. You know, the scene where he's running away on the motorcycle and the jet's trying to take him out with with the machine gun, and he takes out the jet with the shield. Amazing stuff. And it seems like they're they've uh, moved him forward as far as his proficiency with the shield. And does that follow the comic book? Is that how it was? Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. Paul's got it spot on where it not only is it an extension of his body, but it is an enhanced extension of his body. And that the scene that you, you, Tell about is the perfect description of that where he literally throws it. It does what it needs to. And then he goes back in true Indiana Jones fashion to retrieve his hat. The difference is that this time it's not his hat. It's his shield. Right. And then he continues on with the mission. I.E. get off of the soon to be crashing airplane. Right. <laughs> yes. It, it is wonderful. It's it's deliriously not realistic. But when you add it all together, it, it, it's a perfect composition of what is Captain America. Right.
0: And if it's not realistic, but it can make you sit there and say, I know it's not realistic, but I'm buying it anyway. Aren't they doing just an incredible job then? Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Something else I did want to mention that doesn't usually happen inside of films, especially ones that get into a large familial audience, but the veracity. So look, there's a guy that's trying to stand up. And as he puts his hand on the wall, Captain America throws a knife through it into the bulkhead of a ship. There it is, dude. It's bold. It's right there. It, it happens quick, but it, and it's a piece of why the guy gets his ass kicked because he can't move because he's push pinned to the, the bulkhead of a ship. Right. But that they bothered and can do that, and it you you kind of blink and it, you it you it just passes by you that you can do that inside of a movie like Captain America speaks to the storytelling ability of both the film but also the filmmakers who someone said I'll tell you what what if Cap um why doesn't he throw a knife. And he sticks the the guy's hand to the bulkhead of the ship. Yeah, man, write that. That's awesome. And very often, Paul and I have talked about this in other movies where we hear those sounds where you hear the the guy going, "Oh yeah, that's awesome. Write that. Write that shit, man. That's awesome." And you'd think it was stupid, mm-hmm. except it's not stupid. Here, it works perfectly.
2: Well, and and there are movies where they put so much action into the movie that it gets cheesy. Yeah, you know, it 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 it's just overwhelming yeah. that. Yeah. And they were able to pack a lot of action into this movie. Oh, yeah. And I never felt like that. No. I never had that that feeling when I was watching it. So it's... Paul, Paul really
1: they, really hit it on the head, I think, where with Captain America specifically, anything that he does inside of these movies, I have absolutely no problem with because we've already taken the disbelief pill and he is a super soldier. Right. So let's go to the book that defines super soldier. Oh, wait, we don't have one. And that, that's how you're able to scoot past 90% of the problems, quote-unquote, that we see with the
0: films. Right. And something else to think about, too, with all of this is, in the first movie, as you'll recall, when he, when he sat down with the scientist and they discussed it, it said he said, the formula is going to take what you are and make it more. Yeah, yeah. yeah so if you were yeah. a bad person, it would make him a worse person, hence the Red Skull. Red Skull, right. right. But right. Steve Rogers was not... A physical specimen. It made him a physical specimen, but he was definitely a more cerebral person. So he became, which is kind of discounted when people watch it, they don't think about it. He also became a much better tactician and a much better person who can, now he can see what's going to go on with that shield because he was a cerebral person Mm -hmm. and he just takes it a step further.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go even further on that. and it, it, it took the man who had heart. Right, the man who had
2: values and yeah. integrity, and it it, it furthered that, yeah. and it gave him the ability to further that. And I think that's what I love most about the character is his integrity and honor and values just stand out, and they don't give up on that. They continue that through all the movies. Yeah, you know, through the Avengers movie and they keep hitting on it. And I think that's why people love this movie and love this character.
1: Particularly uncheesy one-liners. And that's tough. You know, Dude. I mean, because Dude. you can get
2: them Dude. cheesy yeah. real easy, right? Yeah. Just like that.
1: Yes. And we've seen enough movies in past, including ones that I absolutely love. I was in a cold medicine induced stupor the entire recent national holiday. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know what happened, but, oh, it was because it was uh, the weekend of Judgment Day. Mm
5: -hmm. Judgment
1: Day, for everybody that isn't familiar with the Terminator universe, Mm -hmm. is August 29th, originally August 29th. And so every now and then I will take an entire day and I will sit down and I will watch the entire Terminator series. Mm -hmm. And so because I didn't want to do anything, I wanted to rest and get rid of my cold, that's exactly what I did. My wife and I sat, we did nothing all day long, except Mm -hmm. watch the Terminator series.
0: Your wife is a wonderful lady. She
1: is. She is an (laughs) awesome lady. (laughs) The the gist is that watch the entire Terminator series. Yes, she is a great lady, Paul. And anyway, you guys know Terminator. In particular, the second film is built with absolute, not quite cheesiness. And then the third one gets into some more Mm cheese. Talk to the hand. Ah. Right. Okay, and then there's nothing of any redeeming social value whatsoever inside of the fourth film.
4: <laughs> right.
1: So the, the fact is that Terminator series in general, whether it's the original I'll Be Back, which made a whole lot of sense, right before the destruction of the, uh, the police station, by the way, mm-hmm. one-liners can be really, really awesome, Or they can be really, really stupid, like, I don't know, every Steven Seagal film.
2: And they could ruin it. They could ruin the whole movie with with those.
1: Yeah. And without question, without fail inside of this film, the previous Captain America film, and frankly, I think all of the Marvel ones currently, they all have this adept ability to take what is humor and temper it. Right. It is not the har har Tommy boy black sheep dick joke. No. It is it is something that has value and forwards the story or a character movement. I love that.
2: No, and you know my my example was the uh, there's so many of them through this movie, but when he's having that dialogue with uh, Black Widow and she's trying to get out of him, well, what do you do on your days off? You know, my barbershop quartet is dead. You know, <laughs> yeah. I laughed. I mean, it was it's it's yeah. clever, it's funny, it and it tries to take you back to and remind you, hey, this
1: guy's ninety years old. Yeah,
2: you know this. And it reminds you of the backstory, and I love that.
1: Yeah, it's tremendous, and it it allows levity, especially inside of this movie. This movie is definitively darker than most comic book movies because of the nature of what we're talking about. We are talking about absolute treason here. Mm -hmm. Let's let's not be coy. We're talking about trade secrets. Mm -hmm. We're talking about the the overarching look of the government on everybody. Mm Mm-hmm. That's what we're looking inside of this right. movie, and I think that's it's what really made dark, it endearing. Right? N- not only is it a dark content and dark matter, it's real. We, but I'm going to
2: throw that tinge of comedy in there every once yes. in a while to keep it light.
1: Yeah, it, it definitely becomes a giant stew that they mix things into to give you a different flavor every now and then, so it's not the same tone throughout.
2: And it, it like we were discussing before, they had the scene where they're about to go attack the helicarriers, and... Mm-hmm falcon says to him how do i discern the good guys from the bad guys and the one-liner as well if they're shooting at you they're bad <laughs> and like i told you yeah. as a personal story it made me flash back to my uh patrol days mm-hmm. when we had the call of the wrong way driver and i uh, called out over the radio and said can you give me a description of that car and uh some uh, smart aleck i had on the uh, you know and one of the other cars said well it'll be it'll be the one coming right at you well, thank you, yeah. thank you for that. Awesome. I awesome. appreciate it. Concise detective values. That's uh, awesome. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> it, it, it's uh... it's great. I don't know. Yeah. I I think it enhanced the film. And if you can pull it off, it's, it's kudos. But if you can't, then I think it's it's a huge detriment. Yeah, but they could do if, it.
0: If, if you can't do it, it could be poison to your movie. Absolutely, because, because it kills the rewatchability. Yeah. Right, because you don't because, want to hear. What it happens is when when they do it poorly. <laughs> Every time you hear one of those bad lines, you kind of cringe a little. Right. Yeah, uh-huh. And that cringing makes it not fun to watch. So yeah. it's, it's hit or miss. And I, I really think on those things, they need to, to go with a, a test audience or something because, again, sometimes I've seen it where those lines are just so bad.
1: Well, I'll give you one that is still one of my favorites from the original Avengers film, and I will never forget it because it is so adeptly written, and it's a piece of connective tissue throughout that first film. In fact, I think it's throughout all of them where they show Captain America. It's that, look, it's the old guy.
5: Mm -hmm. And
1: they pay it off wonderfully all the time, but what they do inside that original Avengers film, it's the one where Cap can't possibly believe he's going to see something that surprises him. Right. Oh, yeah. Walks onto the bridge and just money rolls out and it's handed off. That's the first part of that one. The second one is there's a there's a joke that's told and they're talking about flying monkeys. Well, yeah. It's Nick and, Fury. Nick
2: Fury yeah, says, yeah. how did he turn the two guys I knew that were loyal into their personal flying monkeys?
1: Yeah. Well, And, and without a beat, Cap goes,
2: oh, I, I understood that one. Right. <laughs> Thor says, I don't get that. Flying monkeys, I don't get that. Yeah. And he says... Wait, I got that one. I got that one because of his age, and he can you yeah. rem- can recall the Wizard of it, Oz, I guess. And
1: it, it's brilliant. <laughs> it, it, it's brilliant stuff, and it, it, I'd never want that to end. Right. I want there always to be that that comfortable moment where they know they can give the old man the old man joke, and instead of having to have a cane where he gets up and says, "Get off my lawn, you sons of bitches," he doesn't right. have to do that because he's Captain America.
0: Right. But contrast that with, say, go to the movie Batman and Robin. And the one-liners they gave to Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze. I mean, those are infamous at this point as being so bad. <laughs> right.
1: not, not, not only are the infamous, I'm reasonably certain I'm going to have whomever's editing this program excise the comment that Batman and Robin was ever mentioned. <laughs> that is a, that is, it is a terrible film. It, it should have never been made. And Paul, you're being kind with the unkind one-liners in that film. It is a terrible movie.
0: I, I, I'd like to argue with you, but I agree
1: 100%. <laughs> no way. Cap's Sixth Sense about Natasha's efforts. This is another wonderfully written note. Again, it's coming off that ship movement where Cap has a plan. Cap has the entire battle plan. It's all memorized. It's never been written down. It's been told to him once. It's in his skull cap, and he's got it all, and it's all going to go off without a hitch. Except what the hell are you doing, Natasha? Right, and that that begins to unfold this other invisible arm of this movie.
2: Right, the division, the division of integrity, oh, I, the uh, <laughs> the Nick Fury standards, and then the Captain America standards. They're it, distinctly different.
1: Yeah, it is extraordinary. And these kind of little tiny quick moments that happen that build the again, I love using that word connective tissue between the characters. But then the connective tissue between the characters. And the story, mm-hmm. and then the third one is the connective tissue between each of the characters, the characters to the story, and then the story to the world that's been built. Right, brilliant.
2: Right, it is brilliant. Absolutely, and they continue with that. They yes. they continue that when you know when him and Fury have the dialogue, mm-hmm. and when him and uh, the Black Widow have the dialogue, that they, they continue in an ongoing dialogue. You're in an ongoing right dialogue, yeah. and they continue to show the differences. To make sure that each character stands on their own, mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. everything, with yeah. their with their values, with their integrity, and their their outlook on life. Yeah.
1: Underlying integrity and the Smithsonian scene, endearing qualities personified. It's not because Gary Sinise is featured inside of the voiceover, but it's a part of it. That's, Gary Sinise reading. That's a good reading, part of it. It it, it is instant patriotism to me. That's right. All I need for him is to be standing someplace else going, You'll never sink this boat! That's right. Because that's the only other thing that's more heroic to me than listening to just Gary, Gary Sinise read things. Running through the detail of Captain America... All of those, for those of you that don't know, that is, those are all exposition scenes. Mm-hmm. But you don't know it because they're being read by, uh, wonderfully, patriotically. Mm-hmm. But Gary Sinise says you get to look at these wonderful pictures of times long gone by that suddenly become times now.
2: Right. And, you know, in writing, a lot of times what they'll tell you is to recap, to remind your audience of a certain thing. and. Them taking you back through all of that, going back, you know, basically going back to that first film, where did it start? Mm-hmm. And how does it progressed? Yeah. I'm going to give you a little recap so you didn't forget how we got to this point. Yeah. And it's brilliant.
1: Yeah. Uh, we're going to add links to a whole bunch of wonderful Lieutenant Dan moments because uh,
5: uh,
1: Gary Sinise himself has done so much more with his life post Lieutenant Dan. Uh, And it is amazing the seed moments that that role allowed for him to be personified as Lieutenant Dan. His band is called Lieutenant Dan Band. All of the efforts that he does for all of the troops across the board, regardless of where they are inside of their careers, is amazing to me. And him adding in that very, very tiny little spoke inside of the wheel of this film, Mm -hmm. it adds so much validity and interest into it. I, I I just, I loved all of it.
0: And now they have to find a role for Gary Sinise to play in one of these movies where he's actually on screen because he would fit into this Marvel Universe very well.
1: Yeah, I I totally agree with that. In fact, somehow making him another heroic guy that goes into the the mix with Captain America during one of the many adventures that... I hope somehow they're able to go back to. There's so many opportunities to go back inside of my favorite Captain America outfit that they have currently. Mm -hmm. That he steals back from the Smithsonian side of this film. Another reason why I love this film. And And another
0: moment with Stan Lee.
1: Yes. Yes. I'm so fired. Awesome. All the value pieces of all of that is excellent. And adding on Gary Sinise would be just another wonderful moment. Visiting Peggy and the specter of Alzheimer's. I have a podcast on my podcast network over at scammercast.com that focuses specifically on making sure that elders and the people that care for elders are not taken advantage of by scammers. And unfortunately, cognitive impairment, i.e. things like Alzheimer's, are a huge, huge part of scams nowadays. That wonderful, warm moment that you have with Peggy is unfortunately cast aside by the specter and just... Dastardly nature of Alzheimer's and that right. she just she's like, oh Steve when did you get here right and you can feel the the warm Flowing heart that Steve has beating inside of his chest right almost sink a whole size right. Because you know no matter how many times he comes back. It's never gonna happen again, right? What what a brilliantly written moment?
0: Brilliantly written and brilliantly acted you can feel his love for her in that scene right, right. and and how how his heart is breaking at her Alzheimer's but how you know he's he's trying to make her comfortable and not not let her be aware of his discomfort. Yeah, uh, it, it's just wonderfully done. You know, I, I can't go as far as to say it's subtle because I don't think it's meant to be subtle. I think I think it's meant to be a very strong scene, and I think it succeeds in that.
1: I, I am yeah. going to join you in in the subtlety, though. And what I mean, though, is that you know, it's not where Captain America would finish the wonderful, eloquent answers that he provides to her, and then look directly in the camera, Ferris Bueller style, and go you know, Alzheimer's is a terrible disease that you too need to help us defeat by throwing your shield at Mm helpalzheimersvictims.org. You don't have any of that that's beat over the head inside of it, and it really does value because of it.
2: It it speaks to me that his attributes of loyalty, you know, to Mm. people Mm. and to his friends, and after all this time, Mm. he's still loyal to her. He still goes and visits her. And I think it's just another way of them continuing to mold that character creatively and uniquely to say that, you know, look, here here's another aspect of Captain America, loyalty to friends, loyalty to God, country, family. That's the, you know, American patriot. I think this is just another another way for them to continue to chisel out his character.
1: Robert Redford's appearance And resurgence in his career. I can remember Robert Redford. I think my first memory of Robert Redford would have been The Natural. That was Mm -hmm. the first movie I can remember where I was a kid watching a movie and, hey, look, it's Robert Redford. And I can remember him inside that movie as if it was yesterday. The lightning boy bat. That movie was another one that reminds me very much of The Rocketeer where they absolutely captured the time. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can close your eyes, you can be taken into that movie, you open your eyes, and you are catapulted into a completely different era.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: Robert Redford inside this film, the resurgence in his career is extraordinary and deserved.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, he has a lot of politics that I don't agree with completely.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: I love to watch him act because he's absolutely committed to whatever he's involved in. I agree. I don't know a movie or effort that he's been involved in, even that proposal. Uh, indecent proposal.
5: He, yeah, he, even the insanity
1: that of that film, <laughs> even the insanity of that film, he's in it. He's in it to win it as that guy, right? And that's the mark of an actor. Right. You you can take on the mantle of whatever's handed to you in a script, convey your acting skill set, and it works. And right. even inside that ridiculousness, it worked.
2: And he di- and he did a he did a great job in that film. One of the one of the films I just can't stand. Yeah, he did a he did a great job in portraying. That person that in that film. Yeah. And he does that here. Yeah. He is the slick politician. He can talk his way in or out of anything. He can manipulate people. He can manipulate that board. Mm-hmm. He can manipulate Nick Fury or Captain America or So He Thinks. Mm-hmm. And it's a cat and mouse game. And he's good. Mm-hmm. And he fits, it, he fits the role perfectly. A question for you guys. Is he, is that character in the comics?
0: Not that I've ever seen. No? Okay. Uh, it, it's funny that you know you, you're just talking about like Robert Redford history-wise, as opposed to just in the movie. I remember a time, you know, being an old man here uh, <laughs> when Robert Redford was like the sex symbol that all the women talked about. Right. You would think that would be kind of a turn-off that you'd say, I don't want to see this guy. You know, he's, he's he should just be in you know rom-coms for for chicks. <laughs> but there's something, there's some sort of a natural charisma that he has. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's the old James Bond line. You know, every man wants to be him. Every woman wants to be with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there, there's yeah. something about him that is appealing. And to have him come in and be a villain mm-hmm. is is kind of a coup for the Marvel Universe. And I think it's a coup for him, too, uh, in, in a way that Mike talked about, how it's re- resurrected his career at whatever he is at this point, 70-some-odd mm-hmm. years old.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's a new movie that just came out recently, and it's him and Nick Nolte. And originally what happened was Robert Redford read the book Mm -hmm. that that movie is based on and what originally was supposed to happen, it was supposed to be him and his old sage friend, Paul Newman, who unfortunately we lost, Mm -hmm. uh, I think a decade ago now, if not more. He never thought that he would find somebody that could be that other guy Mm -hmm. inside of that other film until apparently Nick Nolte came around. Mm -hmm. Now, if you think I have some problems with Robert Redford's political stances, me and Nick Nolte clearly wouldn't get along. Probably not. <laughs> uh, but the, uh, the, the fact is that Nick Nolte is, he is that other odd couple guy. Mm-hmm. And I don't know anything about this new movie. I have not seen it. I don't even remember the title.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but again, it's where Robert Redford looks at quality of product, knows that he and or someone else he knows can match it and then steps into the role. I really find that endearing about even actors I don't like. When they can step in, take on the role, and make it a piece of the repertoire, that really is magical.
2: That's going to be interesting. That's going to be a tough, tough replacement for uh, Newman.
1: Yeah. Nick Fury's reveal and tragic end again. I know it's because it's a black man. I know it's because it's a black man with a black eye patch. Mm -hmm. And I know because it's Samuel L. Jackson that it all works every time we see Nick Fury it's it's a payoff moment it works it doesn't make any difference where he's coming out of whether it's the cinematic universe here on the giant ass screen mm-hmm. or on the smaller HD screen because we got to see him inside of agents of shield this last season right. it doesn't make any difference where he appears he's the man he's cool what can you say he's instantly cool samuel L. jackson may as well be latin for holy shit is that guy cool yeah because it works every single time right it does he's, every single time he, he's there he's
2: cool he's the uh, non-politically correct he's going to tell you like he sees it and you want him to you're yes. waiting for him to
1: yeah yeah I, I, his character is terribly endearing it's wonderful inside of this one because you finally get to see what is underneath the eye patch. Mm-hmm. Another brazen moment. Right. Uh, a lot of people that have eye patches, I don't happen to know any. Oh, wait, I take that back. I know one guy that has an eye patch. He is a lawyer in St. Louis, and the right. phone number is 333 3333. It's right. one of the Brown brothers. Right. I've, I've forgotten what his name is, uh, but it's that guy. Right. And what you'll never see anywhere mm-hmm. is someone remove their eye patch and show you what's under it. Right. Except in Captain America Winter Soldier. But it, there
2: you're gonna see it. It speaks volumes to Nick Fury yeah. as nobody can outmaneuver him. Yes. Nobody can outthink him. I'm six steps ahead of everyone <laughs> who who's gonna try to outmove me. Don't try to play me in chess, yeah. I'm gonna win. Yeah. It's, it's great characterization again.
1: Yeah.
0: I don't know if we've talked about the history of Nick Fury when we did our uh Shield episodes. Nick Fury is a character who was written into the comics in the early 1960s, mm-hmm. and he was written in as a dual character. Basically, he appeared originally in the Fantastic Four as a spy, uh, you know, basically the agent of Shield, taking taking advantage of the James Bond craze. And he was a uh, Caucasian gentleman, uh, much much more similar to the David Hasselhoff. <laughs> portrayed Nick Fury from the old uh, TV movie than than Samuel Jackson. Hmm. Uh, And then almost simultaneously, they started coming out with Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos, which went through his, his activities during World War II. And at that point, it made sense because World War II had only been less than 20 years earlier. But you know, then as time went on, it started to get like, you know, eh, Nick Fury should be pretty darn old now. <laughs> he was, participated in World War II, and they came up with a, a storyline where he was taking this thing called the Infinity Formula, which kept him young. Okay. Then eventually Marvel started what they called the Ultimate Universe, where they started basically retelling stories of their characters as if they had just began. Yeah. And it was a separate universe of comics. Mm-hmm. And in that, they introduced Nick Fury as Samuel Jackson. Before any of these movies came out, there were comic books where he was drawn as Samuel Jackson. And I believe they actually had to go and get Samuel Jackson's permission Yes, for, for that in order to do it. Yeah. And then when the movies when they started to make the movies and they decided they were going to incorporate Nick Fury into it, uh, it, there was, it was a no-brainer for them to hire Samuel Jackson to do the part. Yeah, Absolutely.
1: And, I mean, talk about ultimate job awesomeness. Can you imagine being the guy that, I don't know, a decade earlier, they go, hey, man, we'd like to draw a character inside a comic book looks like you with an eye patch. What do you think of that? And he'll go, damn, awesome, sign me up. And then a and decade later... It, uh,
0: Samuel Jackson, as I understand it, is a comic book geek and fan
1: yeah well and, and that, i mean uh, his, that, that his really, point as
0: mace windu in star wars mm-hmm. was specifically at his request that they write him in
1: yeah well right. and don't forget he was also in unbreakable as the guy that collects comic books and is the bad guy so you know the 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 extraordinary nature of him appearing in comic books at all is great but every time he appears it is just a a slice of awesome pie and yes i will have three uh. Busting the Nick Fury ambush. Now, thankfully, we have a 25-year law enforcement veteran that has connections to all kinds of people. So, I'm curious, Chris, when uh, there are guys—in fact, a bunch of cops in mm-hmm. between six and ten police cars—that right. have surrounded a black SUV and begin firing automatic weapons at it, what yes. happens?
2: Hundreds of bullets. Well, if you're—I <laughs> mean, if you're in the middle of Washington D.C. That's going to solicit a response from DC Metro, <laughs> no way. probably the Secret Service. Uh, you know, I mean, you've got hundreds of rounds being shot in the middle of the street, and uh, <laughs> you know these fictitious police officers out there. Yeah. But but then again, this is a fictional movie. Yeah, and we take it. You know, I liked the scene; it was exciting. Yes. It was. Uh, yeah, I I love again the cat and mouse game. You know, he he the. Uh, Integrity of the window is going, and you know, and then he he lights him up with this fully automatic double-barreled whatever it Mini is cannon. machine gun. <laughs> yeah. He he can't hear; he's going to be deaf <laughs> after he shoots that thing off five million times in the car. But it's fiction; it's it's still entertaining. Yeah. Reality, yeah, you <laughs> you're going to have a huge response doing that in Washington D.C. You're going to have the the local police there. You're going to have the Secret Service you're probably going to have, who knows, the FBI, NSA, who knows.
1: Any of those secret (laughs) little holes where they put soldiers to just stand there and wait for something to happen, that would be when something like that is trip and triggered. Yeah. And uh, again, inside of our action busting segments, inside of everything, we try to take a slice of real life and apply it over what you see inside of the films. Right now, before you all sent hate mail about, Oh yeah, except for the super soldier. Oh yeah. Except for the guy with the mechanical left arm that Mm -hmm. apparently can't be hurt by bullet fire. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oh yeah. Except for the Russian spy that has kind of superpowers Mm -hmm. guys. We, we, we get all that. The action busting is just to provide you a perspective of what would happen in real life. If Something like the it, Nick Fury ambush were to it happen. It doesn't. It doesn't
2: detract from the film. Um, <clears throat> right. However, I'll throw out my disclaimer. I've never been with, you know, Washington dc metro and perhaps there's somebody out there that can say hey no wait a minute that did happen we did have a guy based that, on a true uh, story we shot three million rounds into this car and um Nothing no happened.
1: they never responded you know <laughs> i I doubt that but hey who knows <laughs> the, the flavor of this entire scene is excellent from the beginning of it's just a cop riding a black dude in a giant black suv as it starts all the way down to his escape i mean it it is the stuff of comic book legend that's brought to real life that you get to see on the screen, and right. it's tremendous.
2: He snubs the, uh, the officer in the, you want to see my lease? You <laughs> yeah. know, it was great. Although, disclaimer... Fictional officer, I got to stick oh, up for yeah, my my yeah. brothers in blue out there. It's fictional police <laughs> yeah, officer. Right. They were that's impersonating.
1: Right. But, and actually, I think they said <laughs> something like that. Like DC Metro is not responding. Right. To
2: this. The, yeah, yeah. The computer yeah. told them there are no units and there are no oh, DC right. units <laughs> in the area. <laughs>
1: that's right. That's right. So there was a kind of disclaimer, and there was a giant hey, floating they, asterisk. They, they
2: didn't want to disregard yeah. you know, discredit the police. So yeah. these are imposters. Good. good.
1: Getting home with PTSD and trauma of being in it. Now, this is the second scene, a very quick scene, where Sam is governing essentially what is a, an AA group for people that are suffering from PTSD, I'm assuming.
2: Right. And I think that it, it adds to the, the depth of the characterization of the Falcon. Mm-hmm. And it gives you a little backstory about him because they really don't go into a lot of backstory Mm -hmm. I guess they you get the uh, he is ex-military you get that uh, you know he flew something Mm -hmm. they come out with that later lost his buddy and right, lost lost his buddy Mm -hmm. but it this I think speaks to his emotional Mm well-being and I think people when they see a movie or read a book they kinda wanna know what's the what's the emotional makeup of that person And I think this gives them a little bit of insight to uh, what kind of person he is. Uh, I think it goes into uh, that he is a compassionate person because what we see is we we see him trying to help others.
1: Well, it's a very interesting reveal for Captain America as well because while I don't think Captain America would ever say, I came back from my experience and I, too, am damaged,
5: Mm -hmm.
1: he's damaged. You can't be frozen for 70 years and just awesome happens. And so that he was able to see him helping people that are back from... The realm of combat he right. instantly had to know that there was something else auxiliary going on that would benefit him
2: right, and wrapping that back into the camaraderie
0: yeah in, in the comics, they really focused in whatever it was thousand nine hundred and sixty three or so when they revived the character of mm-hmm. Captain America, and it turned out and they came up with the story that he had been frozen in ice and was revived. And he was whatever, fifteen years out of time at that point. Yeah. But they really did focus on the out of time element of his character, how he felt that that he was displaced, that, that you know the world had passed him by and mm-hmm. that, that he wasn't in the world where he belonged.
6: Mm-hmm.
0: And it was it was the focus of a lot of stories that they did then. And while I don't know if it would be all that appropriate to focus too too much on it because it would become a little bit maudlin, I think they did do a good job of showing how he was a little out of time and that, you know, sometimes it it, it bothered him and other times they'd make light of it. But clearly he was motivated to to rectify that. That's why he had his list of of things to catch up on.
2: Right. I appreciate how they had him stick to I'm ninety years old, this is the way that it was back in the day, you know, back in the days when he grew up and he he came through the military and the war. Mm -hmm. But he kept he kept to that. He kept. He stuck to that. He didn't seem like he changed the man that he was back then, and he continued that. I think they do that on purpose. uh, Like I said before, many times to continue to show, hey, I'm old fashioned. These are my old fashioned values, and I'm a good person.
0: And I I think it was it was another way of showing, you know, that that he was damaged and that he paid he paid a tremendous price for what he did.
6: Right. Oh yeah.
0: Without ever beating us over the head with it. Right. Again, I'm I'm loath to use the word subtle because it, it's not that it, it you know you have to be picking it out to really see it, but with not being beaten with it either.
1: No, I think that's very that's very fair. And again, being able to recognize the comments of people that are writing a story to paint a picture that isn't a blunt over the head moment, uh, that takes an adept writing skill that needs to be subtle otherwise it comes off as absolutely ingenuine. Action busting the action cap scene with Cap in an elevator. Hey guys have you heard the one about the captain in the elevator? This scene is another of what is just a ton of favorite scenes inside this film yep. that is unlike anything except maybe Paul whatever we might see inside the comic book frames I know that there have been many frames where I've seen Cap just wailing ass on 10 different guys in a series of three pages.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That, that's been done uh, many times. And, you know, there are certain artists that are masters of it. And you can see where the scene is choreographed and, and that it creates that, uh, that kinetic feel. But to see it in live action is just incredible yeah and it really makes you and it's something I haven't done but thinking about it I can't believe that I haven't yet it makes you want to take that scene and watch it in slow motion yes just to see how it all falls together because it seems while you're watching it at normal speed it all makes perfect sense there's no point in there where it seems unbelievable that he's fighting what was it 15 different men
1: yeah, well, I yeah. actually when we started In every this, one of them. Yeah, uh, when I started the scene, I said, "Okay, I, th- I think what we're going to do, Chris, is we're going to pause it and count every guy he takes off the list."
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we couldn't do it because it, it's too awesome to watch.
2: Right, <laughs> and it's fast paced. Yeah, uh, even the even the beginning of it, just I appreciate his attention or their attention to detail with his attention to detail of how it starts, and he's looking around, he's kind of suspecting something and it's that what isn't it that drop of sweat that rolls down the guy's yeah. face and the, the guy tipped,
1: making sure that the safety is off the of safety holster. off of the holster
2: yeah just very detailed i don't know writing in that i i, I appreciated it and from my perspective in, in law enforcement you know you go into certain scenes and you look for this detail mm-hmm. and those are the things that intrigue me yeah and uh I, I loved how they kicked it off and i thought it was a great
0: action scene and just just to start it off with before we start does anybody want to leave right
2: great one line right absolutely great dialogue great one-liner and
1: (laughs) something else I think we're gonna roll into this point as well because it's totally perfectly timed is what was the plan and for those of you that haven't ever thought of this it's a way to work action scenes backwards right so that you can make sure that there was some semblance of something going on rather than okay and now ass-kicking ensues right and,
2: and and you actually asked that. I remember I, when we were yeah. watching the movie, I don't get he, you said, "Well, what was, what was the plan? Well, how did they actually think that they were going to subdue him?" Yeah, yeah. And I said, "Yeah, and let's pick a glass elevator 40 floors up." <laughs> yeah. Uh but they as we watched it they did have yeah. a plan.
1: Yeah, and th- for those of you that still don't know after watching <laughs> the the scene a couple of times, it's very apparent what the plan was. Paul, do you know what the plan was in general? Any concept?
0: by, you, by plan you mean What was the plan of to subdue him?
1: Yeah, the 30 guys in the elevator, what were they going to do to subdue Captain America?
0: It it seemed to me that the plan was to get him with those magnetic manacles and then taser him. Right.
1: Yeah, (laughs) and that is essentially it. Even, Even if only what they were going to do was get those manacles onto him, which is a great word, by the way. Where did you come up with that? Is that what those are?
0: I, I don't know if that's a. I don't even know if there are such things in real life. <laughs> <Right>. yeah, some, <laughs> Those are perfect. Some
1: type of
2: restraints or awesome. handcuffs well, the, the, or whatnot. The captain
1: manacles. <laughs> that's awesome. I'm going to totally steal that. The, the captain manacles were supposed to be put onto each of his wrists, which would then connect to the metal struts inside the elevator, right. which would at least partially subdue him enough so that they could taser him and then take him into custody. Right. Asterisk.
2: <laughs> still a bad still a bad plan Getting in a glass gossip. elevator 40 floors up yeah. after you get them you know detained to the wall exactly how are you going to get them out of there <laughs>
0: You know? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe and yet another thing to keep in mind with that scene, it pays off beyond the fight because now he's got to get out of that elevator yep. and they have troops coming at him on every floor. Yeah. And, it, it's and,
1: extraordinary. And it, it's don't... so well written. It all makes sense. And we talked about this too because you start off the movie with Cap jumping out of the back of an airplane at what? I don't know, 10,000 feet right. probably because the hatch was open. Right. He just jumps out. There's no parachute. He just plummets into the water and everything's. Good to go. No problems right. at all.
2: And in this scene, So you can
1: easily buy him jumping 10, 20, 30 floors... Out of concrete. Out of a window, onto the concrete on top of a vibranium shield. No problem. Right. Okay. Right. It works. It and works. The and vibranium,
0: the vibranium shield by its nature is made to absorb that impact. Impact, right.
1: Okay. It's, so it's extraordinary. It's, at it's,
0: least within the confines of the story itself, it's a believable method of getting out of it.
1: Yeah. And the, the pace of the scene, the deliberate... Capture of what it looks like because you don't just like you don't see Cap go out the window and you hear a thunk. That's not how this works. You see him all the way to the ground, so much so, kind of hitting his head as well. But we're not going to bother with that. You get to see it all, and you traditionally would not see that inside of anything like this ever.
2: And I think they continue to beg the question throughout the whole movie: How tough is he? Yeah. What can he take? What can he endure? Because those were the things that I was asking myself, oh wait a minute, can he jump that far onto concrete and survive? You know, can he, obviously in the beginning it was, hey, can you jump out of the plane without a parachute into the water from, well, yeah, we did that right away. Mm -hmm. How much can he take? How tough is this guy? What superpowers does he have?
1: Yeah. Uh... Cap and widow in the Apple store and a customer service agent. Watching Captain America and Black Widow in a, I don't think it actually was an Apple store, but in an Apple store-like store,
5: mm-hmm.
1: is a very interesting proposition that could instantly, instantly, along with a kiss, get dumb.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And it didn't. It no, didn't. No. It, it was all very believable. Even the advent of this customer service agent that both you and I hated mm-hmm. it didn't blow up the scene at all because... The pace of what they're doing, where they're doing it, and how quick it's got to get done—all right. worked for the scene.
2: They they worked in his awkwardness, trying to come up with the story, you know, trying to fit in as a nerdy-looking civilian, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it it worked. It uh, and it could have gone bad really oh, quickly. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, they were, they were saved to some small extent by the fact that they were never stupid enough to try and put in a clumsy love story moment between Natasha and Cap. Yes. They never had the moment where he said, oh, maybe she likes me, and he tries to kiss her or something. You know, that never happened, and right. I think the story is well served for them not having that. Because right. yeah. I think it would have been, been a cringeworthy moment.
2: Right, and quite, yeah. the, quite the opposite. They go back and drag that moment out in a humorous dialogue of her questioning him if he's ever kissed somebody since he was thawed out, and <laughs> and they and he gets quite offended.
1: Yeah. Well, and it also <laughs> and becomes defensive. A book, yeah, it also becomes a bookend at the end of the movie. Right. That kiss—it's very much what Paul is talking about here—is that kiss at the end of the movie is exactly what Paul's talking about, where on on passionately on the cheek, right, thumbs up, a passionate, rosy red, Scarlett Johansson kiss with lipstick at the end on the mouth. Mm-hmm. not so much. Right. It would have made the entire relationship fail. Right. And it didn't need it.
0: It was better served without it altogether. I think yes. you, you, you felt them as comrades in arms, but there was never any romantic tension, despite the fact that they had that scene where they had to kiss each other. Yeah. That was, uh, when they kissed each other, it was business as usual. Yeah. Right. right.
1: And then again, to go back to that end, where there's a, not only at the end is it not cringeworthy, there's real care that's delivered by her in the line, you know, Can't really ever be sure who you need to trust. Right. And again, you get that layer of care that happens inside of this character cares about this other character and it's genuine. You totally have that. Adding in dissension, a sense of internal loyalty, but also fear of those that infiltrate. As I wrote this, I think what I have to go back to that is a master stroke of writing, as well as direction across a number of different individuals, as well as the actors, is the going from a television series to the wisps of what's coming in the movie to what happens inside of the movie to the direct acquiescence to go back to the television platform. That's what makes this whole infiltration thing pay off wonderfully. It also speaks directly of why Grant's ousting Mm -hmm. And his continued participation inside the season, even though he's a determined bad guy that blows the back of guys' heads off, Mm -hmm. why it works. There are some things you have to do because you have to, not because you want to. Mm -hmm. And that helps pay off this infiltration, this deep penetration of one enemy force into another force. And you can't discern where the lines are drawn. I love that.
2: Well, and I think audiences too, or if, if they're like me, they, they kind of like a creative writer to try to deceive them. And yes. If you can pull yes. one over on yes. me and it's not cheesy. I like that. Yeah. That, I agree with I, that. I, I tip my hat and go, hey, kudos. Yeah. I never saw that coming. Yes. Because I, and I'm really bad though, my wife lectures me <laughs> about this because I try to guess what's going to happen you know prior to that when we're watching a tv series or whatever and i oh this is what's going to happen this and this and this and this and if they if they stump me hey kudos great job
1: yeah i I think one of my recent favorites or something like that are recent it's not all that recent but the sixth sense this is a quick spoiler alert to anybody Mm -hmm. that has never seen the movie the sixth sense please Mm -hmm. pause and don't write me hateful emails (laughs) and now that we're back i want everyone to know that the reason that turns me on is because of the psychological flavor of what happens inside of that movie when it's revealed that Bruce's character is dead. He's the guy that is the dead people that the little kid sees.
2: And it totally threw me.
1: Uh, It didn't just throw you. It throws everybody that ever sees it for the first time that isn't spoiled by it. Mm -hmm. And I find that tremendous. I want things like that inside of my story writing. I don't want the cheesy ones. Right.
0: Uh, But what's wonderful about that movie, it wasn't a cheat. No. It go back after you know the secret and you watch the movie over again you see the clues are all there yes. right. they, they were yes. true to, the story was true to itself
1: that piece of psychological and that piece of fresh that you're talking about is what is is essentially completely missing from every other M. Night Shyamalan movie that failed. <laughs> that, that, I would agree with that. that. That want for there to be, one, something fresh, two, something that's not just fresh but not dragged in from your child your childhood or your child's childhood that was endearing,
5: mm-hmm.
1: that pays off something at the end. Those three components you mix together and you have another sample of... The Sixth Sense, and he's never had that again in any of his films, ever. Um, And it is rare. It is unfortunately rare, but when it happens, and it happens well, it happens really well.
2: Right. And it touches on on that throughout when we, uh, and I don't know if I'm jumping ahead, but Mm -hmm. when we get back to the Nick Fury death Mm -hmm. and, oh, wait a minute, he's not dead, I'm not going to over explain it I'm not going to give you enough I'm going to really lay out a scene mm-hmm. Where he's dead Yeah, Where you think he is dead but, and it's done There's well, nothing else you can there's do There's
1: actually a bullet point we have for it But this is a great time to dig into it the, the fact of the matter is You see an ER that looks very real Where bad things are happening You see right. Nick Fury splayed out on a, on a gurney yep. uh, Tubes, knives, everything You get to see all of it And nothing is going well until it all ends. Right. And they got you. They right. totally got you. Right. Then you insert, of course, the favorite Captain Kirk substance from episode 39 in season two. And he gets to go to sleep. And he's not quite dead except that he, his heartbeats beats uh, once per minute. Blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. But the pace of all of that that happens is wonderful. Right. And you get to have the pathos of is he dead or is he not dead except that he's dead. Mm-hmm. We just saw him die. By the way, call the time of death.
2: And Marvel does that. Mm-hmm. Take a look at going from the first Avengers movie to the Agents of Shield, where Coulson has the spear that goes through his heart. Mm-hmm. How are they going to bring him back in Agents of Shield? Mm-hmm. Well, they did it. They did it. They did it. Right. And you and know, I would have told have... you without watching it. Oh, that's going to be really cheesy.
1: It wasn't. No, it wasn't. Totally so, bought it. Yeah. Hook, line, and sinker. Uh, and, I, and without question, I think that's one that I never, I never had any doubt of. And you know why? It's because you want to see Phil Coulson come back. Yeah, absolutely. You want Phil Coulson, right? <laughs> and of course, we want Nick Fury. So it, when right. when they finally say, "Hey, look, he's not dead," we go, "Well, hell yeah, he's not dead!" Right, exactly. <laughs> right, because you want more of it. That's awesome.
0: Well, see, as a comic book reader, I never thought he was dead. <laughs> <laughs>
2: The exper- the... I don't
0: care how much they called it They could have called yeah. it They could have done the autopsy And, <laughs> and, and showed, showed you his brain on the, on the scale And I still would not have believed that he was dead Right <laughs> That's right. awesome
1: I love that And again, that's why I love comic books and comic book movies Because we can have people like Paul That just destroy everything for me Awesome, thanks <laughs>
0: <laughs> Glad to be here for you, buddy
1: Yeah Real division.
2: I think that they they portray the division between Hydra and Shield fairly well when they have that scene where you actually see the agents turn and it, it shows you how much loyalty they have mm-hmm. to Captain America,
4: mm-hmm.
2: where they turn and they question orders. You know, because that doesn't happen, right? right. We don't question orders; we just do what we're told. But not in this case.
1: Yeah. When so, the, the control room, and I'm not sure if this is the scene you're referring to, but the control room where the, the guns just start pointing in every direction yeah, is a, is a wonderful scene. Right. And it is because it is, it is the epitome of what are you, you, going to do?
2: Right. I'm going to stand up for what's right. It reminded me of the scene, and I can't recall which movie this was. Mm-hmm. It was... Um, it was a movie where they had the army came into New York and it was Bruce Willis that was the general and took over. Oh, and it, it, was it was the siege. The siege. Yeah, that's and, an extraordinary movie. And the scene where the Denzel Washington is the FBI leader in the area and they have that showdown with the military guns pointed at the FBI guns. And it's a standoff. Mm-hmm. And it, it reminded me of that scene. And, yeah. And, uh... And I love those types of scenes. Yeah. It's, I, uh, it's who's going to blink and I'm going to stand up for what's right. Right. So. Uh, w-
1: with, with no wavering. Right. Uh, you're absolutely right. The endearing portion of that is the I will not
0: waver. The, right. Uh,
1: I have solid stance and this is my stance, period, paragraph. Right. I love
0: that. But I, th- I think they also present it from the point of view of how difficult that is.
4: Right.
0: Oh, yeah. So you're in there. There's people pointing guns at you. Right. <laughs> So it would be real easy to say, you know what, I had no choice. I had to do what they told me to do. They had a gun to my head. Right. Yeah, And they, you know, as you, as you said, Chris, they had such fierce loyalty to Captain America right. and doing what is right because that's what they believe their job entailed, right. that they would not let themselves give in to that. Right. And that takes an incredible amount of courage. That
2: they're willing to die for that. Yes.
1: Finding a path back to the comics. Fatherly-like values. Creative... Back and forth. Now, we've been joking about the fatherly values, but yeah. the 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 very real interest of Captain America is that its steadfast devotion to principles from long gone by that are still truthful principles. And
2: I love that they're preserving that. Yes, I love that they have not they. And I'm waiting for it. Okay, they're going to take a right <laughs> turn. I won't watch it again. But they haven't. Yeah. They've done. Yeah. They've done great. And even in the little things, when when him. And Natasha are driving in the, the truck, and, mm-hmm. he's, and he says, hey, get your feet off the dash, just like your dad would have told you, like <laughs> yeah. my dad would have told me, yeah. you know, back in the day. So it's even the little details that they continue to try to characterize yeah. him it, as the, the fatherly figure trying also, to do right in every
4: aspect yeah. of life.
1: It also helps to paint that portrait that Paul was talking about where it is not romantic, Right. Never once inside of that very serene leaves turning colors scene of them driving down the road did it ever become a rom com. Right. Where and now it's time to have a little nuzzle next to Captain America. Right. You didn't have any of that and it was really, really appreciated. The deeper the elevators go, the deeper the stories get. Ah, this is tremendous. The conveying of the carriers to Captain America, because Nick knows, this is a little bit further ahead back in the story, uh, out of of sequence. But the showcasing of the the helicarriers that are being developed to Captain America because Nick knows that something's going on. Right. It goes back to what Paul was talking about, about being able to see something first.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: But
1: then going back to revisit it on multiple viewings mm-hmm. and then understanding something completely different mm-hmm. than when you first saw it. Right. That's the value of a Marvel film.
2: Right. And it was a I think it was a uh a testament to trust. Yes. And it was called out. It wasn't it wasn't that subtle. It was called out when Captain America and, and it's the division of values, Nick Fury's values, Captain America's values. Mm-hmm. I don't trust you. Okay. Let me show you, you can trust me. I'm going to show you something I'm not supposed to. And you know, it goes on from there with yeah. the with the story of his, what his granddad. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think that just that continues to kind of mold the values together where Nick Fury says, hey, look, I'm not such a bad guy. I've got a good side to me, even though I would cross the line way before you would, there are some things that I still hold true mm-hmm. and I won't deviate from. Yeah. And I like that they go into that kind of depth.
1: Well, it, it's funny that you mentioned that story about his granddad because I would love to know what the generation of that story is. You know that somewhere there's got to be a story where at least some of that's that story, mm-hmm. I would love to know that story. I think that that would be an extraordinary tale.
2: And if we base that on what Paul told us about the comics, his granddad might have been way back in the 1800s if he was truly that old, if Nick Fury was truly that old. Mm.
0: And I I don't think they're ever going to make this Nick Fury be 90 years old and taking any sort of formula to be young or Mm -hmm. younger. But I think there's always going to be an air of mystery about him so that the comic book people can say, oh, maybe he is. Right. I think oh. there's going to be a little bit of that with him. Yeah. And and just to go a little bit more in-depth about what you guys were saying about the conversation they had, I think what I walked away with that is their ultimate goals aren't really any different. The difference is the extent to which they would each accept the argument that the ends justify the means. Right. Yes. Right. I yeah.
1: agree. That's very well said, dude. I agree. Eamon Zola's history and... The general tie-throughs. I love that they bothered to have him and Zola represented here, even though it's something solely different than what you get to see inside the comic books. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris, essentially inside the comic books, he's this big giant dude with a TV in his chest, stomach, abdomen area. Mm-hmm. And very little else. Mm-hmm. And you don't have that here at all, but you do have the giant TV tube right. that's got essentially the same exact looking face that was inside of the one that's in the comic books. Right. And I, I do love the homage that's paid here along with the feeling. And now also that the way with how the internet works, mm-hmm. they actually haven't killed Zola. Mm-hmm. Um, they've blown up that facility. Right, that bunker. But back then, if it took that bunker to fill what was Zola back then,
2: mm-hmm.
1: well, it'll fit in your iPhone now.
2: And I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate the attempt or actually a success at going back, I think the writers saying, okay let me let me fill in all the gaps yeah. from this point to this point yeah I'm going to take you back in history mm-hmm. and I'm going to tell you how we got from point A to point B we've been teasing you with it and mm-hmm. uh, now we're gonna fill in some of these gaps yeah. and i I liked it I yeah. thought it was great
1: yeah and rich I, the, the the fact is that this is one of the very largest pieces of the story where you could have instantly gotten lost. Right, because it, it deviates from where you're going it, it helps to fill in the picture right but you have to open your mind a little bit to take in what Zola provides you
2: but it's a short period of time yes. too mm-hmm. the missiles coming in and it's going to blow them up and they get that they get that message across they fill in those gaps over that short period of time mm-hmm. not easy to do no but kudos to them
0: Okay, mm-hmm. I'm gonna just correct you I'm sorry mm-hmm. it's Arnhem Zola
1: Sorry, thank you.
0: <laughs> right. Uh I apologize for for doing that. But No, that's uh, fine. But you know, as a comic fan, I you know, I'm also a uh a neurotic O C D person.
2: <laughs> and and back to uh, uh some no no education in comic books. That was um the doctor's name was was that? Zola, yeah. Okay. Okay.
1: Paul, are you sure it was Arnim Zola? It was Arnim Zola, yeah. right? Yes. Okay, just checking.
0: <laughs> I don't know if you, I don't know if there's a way of you changing it if you want to eliminate my correcting you, but sure. In many ways Zola was presented true to the way he was in the comic because while they didn't have the robotic body with the TV set with his face on it, they did have the aspect of it that his consciousness, his brain, his total mentality, whatever you want to call it, was digitalized and and can be preserved. Yeah. in whatever fashion it needs to be. And, and and they even did it in the movie where it was more old-fashioned. It was an older computer system, but he still was able to effectively do that because he was a computerized computer genius, however you want to phrase it. To take it even a step further, they have a little homage to it in the first movie mm-hmm. where they cut to a scene and he's looking through a magnifying glass and you see his face through that glass for just a moment and it appears that he's on a TV screen. Yeah.
1: No, that was that was another great homage and piece of a nod to the comic book folks. You you you've hit that head on and I think um that concept of transcendence from being a real living biological being to becoming something solely digital. You're absolutely right, Paul. They pulled that off instantly.
0: I, I know as as a comic book fan, for me, when when they got to that scene, that was a hell yeah moment for me. Yeah. I just thought it was great that they did that that and they pulled it off so well.
1: Yeah, the big smile there is watching that ancient webcam Tilt up and grab Captain America's face. That that was excellent, and it really—you're absolutely right on the whole yeah moment. Falcon's premiere as a true comic book fan, Paul. What did you think of us being able to see Falcon in all his glory here?
0: Uh, it, it was it was wonderful on the, on the screen. Again, very very different from the way it was presented in the comic books. Sure. In, in the comic books, uh, Sam is initially introduced. Cap is on an island, he's deserted on an island, and comes across Sam, who is also deserted on the island due to a plane crash, and and that story actually became much more convoluted as time went on, (laughs) but he has a link to this falcon called Red Wing, and Cap trains him and makes him into his partner, but he's merely an acrobat the way Cap is, only without the super soldier. He has no flying ability. That was in Captain America, I believe, 117. Then they become partners, and after a while, Sam starts to feel, because he doesn't have the super soldier, he starts to feel a little bit inadequate, or or that he's overshadowed, Mm -hmm. or that he's not pulling his weight in the partnership. Mm -hmm. He actually travels to Wakanda, which we're going to see in these comic book movies, where he meets up with the Black Panther, and they develop his flying harness. And now he adds that to his repertoire, and he is a more effective partner. So it was a much more long and drawn out thing in the comic books here. It's a military apparatus and he takes it and he's perfected it. But just seeing him in the sky flying like that was awesome.
1: Yeah. Tremendous. And the, for those of you that haven't seen the recent Ant-Man movie, I have to tell you that the transition evolution of what they've made inside of Falcon is extraordinary. They, they have made leaps and bounds to make it a costume, that is a piece of the integrated Avengers doom. And it really is spectacular. I really enjoy what they've done with it. Knives, knives everywhere. Now, inside the street, f- the overpass shootout fight mm-hmm. that we're going to talk about over the next few minutes here, mm-hmm. there is a wonderful, wonderful knife fight between Captain America and Bucky. Yeah. And
2: it looks authentic.
1: <clears throat> not only does it look authentic, it there's peril, you know, mm-hmm. that neither of them can probably hurt each other mm-hmm. unless they chopped each other's head off. Mm-hmm. They probably can't hurt each other with that knife, but it sure does feel like it. Yeah. And again, total kudos to the wranglers, the knife wranglers and people that make up the exhibitions of knife flailing inside of this film. Yeah. Cause it, 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 you're in there, you're in it and right. there's peril everywhere.
2: Right, and it, it, like I said, it looks authentic it uh it kind of speaks to powers or the superpowers that each of them have mm-hmm. and simplifies it with this knife fight. I mean, how strong are they Can, you know they I guess there was one point where doesn't he put the knife through the side of the car yeah. and, and
1: L- like a saw and just drags it across right. right, yeah,
2: and you know that just that plays into you know the question um how. How strong are these guys?
1: Now, I'd like to know what that knife manufacturer is, because they probably really appreciate that. Yeah. That their knives can cut through the side That's of a van. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's awesome. Anyway, that knife fight, just spectacular. Absolutely. The overpass shootout details an incredibly thick storytelling.
2: Love the details. Oh. The scene where she's walking under, with Black Widow's walking under the bridge, and she notices, and I don't know if I... Saw that the first time I saw the movie. That's why you have to rewatch this movie.
1: Well, I'll, and, I'll and tell you, you all right, Chris. I did not see that the first time I you saw. Did, the you film. didn't see no. the shadow. No, That's how I, she I knew didn't. he
2: was on the overpass. No,
1: and and then she she just go, yeah she just goes <clears throat> out from underneath the overpass, takes a shot and. Pops them in the eye with the, with the gunshot. Right. It was extraordinary, and I did not put the pieces together until right. you mentioned it during this last watch. Right. I, and I, I love that. I love being able to watch stuff that I've seen at least five, six times. Right. And then recognizing something new that I completely had not seen.
2: And, and it goes back to me being the non-comic book person to ask, everybody's supposed to be a superhero here. Who has what powers? Mm-hmm. What are her powers? I don't exactly understand. She's not like enhanced like Captain America is where she can't die, so on and so forth. But mm-hmm. she doesn't miss ever with a gun. And I appreciate that as a cop, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, she, she <laughs> never misses with the gun. She, I mean, she's down with a pistol, turns to a target she can't even see, and hits him in the eye. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm going to suggest
0: you, Chris, that you take the time to watch the seven-episode series, I believe it was seven, uh, uh, Agent Carter
2: It
4: was
0: on this past year and uh, Mike and I did several, Mike did all the reviews, I did several of them with him. Mm -hmm. That series, which takes place, I guess, shortly after World War II, Mm -hmm. kind of goes into a little bit of the background of what type of training the Black Widow and people with similar training would have had Okay, and and how they, in many ways, are, are just kind of... Given up their childhood to perfect this ability okay. that they have,
2: and that was that's interesting because that was touched on in one of the movies about her, her upbringing or, or, you know, her child or la- yeah. lack lack mm-hmm. of childhood.
0: And, yeah. and in and the so Age far. of Ultron, they, uh, they they elaborated on it a little further. Yeah,
1: it's all extraordinary, and it, again, the rich storytelling inside of just the pieces we've talked about is another great reason why this is such a tremendous film. Uh, Action busting the overpass shootout. Oh, there will be a response, I'd imagine, right, Chris?
2: Yeah, when you, you've you got somebody shooting off the, you know, the minigun or the Vulcan <coughs> cannon there or whatever it is, yeah. you know, five million rounds that are going everywhere, and yeah, it's going to solicit a response. I mean, you, you have, well, you have a vehicle that was overturned, you have shooting on the overpass, and again... If I'm not wrong geographically, we're still in DC, right? We're still in yeah, somewhere some in Washington DC. Yeah. D. C.
6: Mm-hmm.
2: yeah uh, pretty big response for that. So, <laughs> again, I like the scene though. It's uh it's an action-packed scene. It's uh, this is a fictional movie. It it's very entertaining. But if you're, you know, if you're talking reality, Uh, yeah, we're going to get some type of huge response. (laughs) And they're going to bring a lot of hardware to this one. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. It's amazing. And, uh, again, I love that the fictional comic book aspects can merge inside of a film where we can give some semblance of real-lifedom at the same time, and it all still works. It's great stuff. Uh, Ethics and fury revealed. Rip them all down. Inside of one of the best Lord of the Rings films, uh, we have the wonderful white wizard saying, rip them all down. And inside of there, I thought of this exact same thing when this scene happened, where we have Fury reappear right. and suddenly begin making all of the cards inside of this vast conspiracy and infiltration begin to fall. Right. It's extraordinary. It, it, it's beyond standard storytelling. Mm -hmm. which is why we're bothering to review this film, amongst other reasons. But I don't know another piece that allows us to to transcend from just a comic book movie to something completely different.
2: I think this is where the pinnacle of the division of the differences in values, the differences in ethics, is summarized. Yeah. Because Captain America has his outlook. Nick Fury obviously has his. Mm -hmm. And all the way to the end, Nick Fury is... Look, we're going to salvage this. We're going to salvage S.H.I.E.L.D. And it gets to the point where we talked about that huge government conspiracy, uh, treason and such, and how overwhelmingly bad and huge and big this this problem is to the point where Captain America sums it up. It's all got to burn. Yes. Everything has got to burn to the ground. No, no more lies, no more cover-ups, no more secret operations and such. And, you know, we're going to follow my plan. Right now, we're going to come clean. And everything's going to be honest and truthful and upfront. And just another reason why people love the character.
1: Yeah. A patriotic moment amongst those that can hear it and us. The speech that Captain America gives inside of the both the control room but inside of the S.H.I.E.L.D. building in general is one that is, again, for the ages. It allows for a moment of patriotism but not that bashed, wooden, over-the-nose, now-you-get-to-feel-a-broken-nose patriotism that a lot of people complain about. Mm-hmm. It is the piece that is compiled by pieces of truth that in a conglomerate together are what should happen. Mm-hmm. And... It's so well-constructed, and Chris pays it off wonderfully inside this film.
2: Right. I I agree. First, you have the scene prior to that where the agents agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. turn to the, I guess, the Hydra, Mm -hmm. the other agents of Hydra, and we have that standoff we Mm -hmm. talked about. But now it's summarized where he's on the PA, and they're reminded, yeah, that's what I'm going to die for. That's what I'm putting my life on the line for. I mean it hits home with me. Mm-hmm. It's uh it speaks, you know, he speaks to the greed and uh, the lust for power among humanity and he calls out for uh loyalty and honor and it emboldens all of them. Yeah and we when we see the scenes that follow where they get mowed down, mm-hmm. you know, in the hangar bay mm-hmm. and they still continue to fight. I it just it speaks volumes to me as far as patriotism, loyalty, and, uh, and honor. Mm-hmm. You know, honor standing for a cause that you believe in, and it's the root of Captain America's character. Yeah.
0: I think it also, again, which we've hit upon in the past, speaks to how well cast Chris Evans is in this part, that he's able to pull it off without mm-hmm. ever seeming corny. Right. Yeah. He, he's yeah. You never, you, that you never get
1: that... Uh, you, you guys remember the, the movie Airplane, correct? Mm-hmm. You don't ever get that extended... Uh, Captain What's-His-Name inside of the tower still talking (laughs) Mm -hmm. after the whole thing is over. You don't ever get any of that inside of this and it's it's (laughs) extremely well done. I agree. The cards come tumbling down. This is probably one of the most exceptional films where you get to literally see imagine the bad guys and the good guys as a stack of cards. Right. And instead of the ones you want to have come crumbling down they all come crumbling down, right? And it's because that's what Cap wanted, and right. he knew that to begin the purge,
2: you got to burn them all to the ground. It's all
1: got to burn to the ground, right? And uh, it's, uh, it's again. I think it's again to that quality statement that you just talked about, Chris. The end of a shell game, a cat and mouse game, and a huge actor.
2: Yeah, two huge actors, in yeah. fact um Samuel L Jackson and um Robert Redford I think it's an awesome showdown. Oh yeah. It you know from the time that he steps off that helicopter, you know, it and, and it's set up perfectly. You know, we need what if somebody can help me out. We need two level whatever agents to access this so the Black Widow can dump all the intelligence files out onto the web and burn down shield. Mm-hmm. Well, you need two. Well, here you go. Here's the helicopter. It lands. And you know right from then, it's on. Right. It's this cat and mouse game.
1: Not only that, it's something that we've talked about a couple of times inside this review. Not only is it on, but they actually make it so that it looks like Pierce has burned Nick Fury's eye out of the database. Right. Except, of course, there is another.
2: Right. (laughs) Right. Something he never told anyone else because he has all those backup secrets and plans and back doors that he can go through. So, you know... It, it's just typical Nick Fury, but it's also Samuel Jackson and Robert Redford in the showdown of two fantastic actors. And I just love how it plays out, and I think it, it adds to uh, the depth of this movie.
0: It's a great moment. It is a showdown. And yet it, they never, again, they never try to hit, beat you over the head with it. It's just there and and it 's one of many great scenes in the movie. they never try to make it oh, okay, this is the big moment exactly and I, I think there's a lot of things like that in this movie and and what it d- did was it allowed it to go from great moment to great moment to great moment and just make the entire movie feel that way instead of having certain things that you 're sitting and waiting for right yeah well yeah. it
2: it and you know this is a, it's telling because you know this is a long movie, this is a long movie, but when you get to a movie the length of this movie, you get to the end of that and you're still wanting more. I still got questions. I still want more. They did a great job. Yeah. And that, that's a great job.
1: Well, and the neat part is leaving the end open. There's nothing like a great cliffhanger. Yeah. And this film is a great sample of what you can do with the value and power and legacy of comic books and a cliffhanger. Yeah. Because while we have maybe a concept of what's going to happen, Paul knows the entire legacy of what happens to the, quote, Winter Soldier right. inside of all the comic books that are currently printed inside of Marveldom. Right. Asterisk, maybe. Maybe Paul doesn't know everything, but he knows a lot. As
0: opposed to me, who knows <laughs> what I can nothing. Tell you is that the Winter <laughs> Soldier that I've read, and I have read quite a bit of it, mm-hmm. and it, it covers a lot of issues of comics, but they really paired it down, and presented it here in this movie, I can't say there's a lot that I need to tell you for you to understand this character. You you saw it all. And and it's wonderful writing to do that and never have it be confusing. And I'm talking about some really, really well-written comics that took place over, say, 75 to 100 issues. I mean, we're talking a lot of comics.
1: Yeah. And I don't think that people that have never either sat and read a comic book, or take that back, that have never sat and read a series of comic books. There's a difference between grabbing a popular comic book from a comic book store someplace Mm -hmm. and opening up the pages very carefully out of the plastic and boarded stuffs and reading something and then doing that across, let's say what Paul's talking about, 70 issues of a comic book. Mm -hmm. That's a big commitment that Mm -hmm. a lot of people are not willing to make, especially in today's times. Finding the people that have the attention span to not only go and collect a comic book, Mm -hmm. much less... 70 of them right. but then to sit and read them and try to understand the continuity of what's going on inside of them it just it, it even for younger readers now nowadays it doesn't happen it, it's not there anymore mm-hmm. and so to be able to convey what paul is talking about in a very short period of time it really is extraordinary and that they've pulled it off inside of this two hour and 30 some minute movie mm-hmm. is extraordinary writing well
2: and and i'm a person who likes closure i like closure and and if you leave something hanging, typically, I don't like it. But mm-hmm. I did in this movie, and it wasn't just one cliffhanger that they had at the end. You know, you have the Black Widow who goes into Congress to testify, and, and she she leaves. You're wondering how is What's that going to go pan there, right? out? Mm-hmm. Nick Fury just he's gone deep undercover. He burnt everything up. Mm-hmm. Um, all of those files are out. You know, exposed. Where's he going to go? Then you have, you know, you have the Winter Soldier at the end. You have uh, Bucky Barnes. Where's he going to go? How's that going to play out? With everything, it seemed like they had a stack of cliffhangers that they left you with. And typically, with me, man, I got to have some closure. But it worked. Yes, I can't explain how, but it
0: worked. Well, I, th- I think I liked what they it. did was they gave you your closure on the story, right? And then they right. said. Not so fast. And then they open those doors again. Right. After you already had the closure. So you felt satisfied. Then it leaves you wanting more because they gave you your closure and then they showed you, look, here's all the threads you can follow. Right.
1: The depth of story writing here, it it doesn't get enough justice, unfortunately, because it's wrapped in the veil of it's a comic book movie. And there's more writing, there's more puzzle piece fitting and world building inside of this film than there is inside of five or ten huge blockbusters that we've seen in the last five years right and that's another reason why we're focusing on this movie this very long review inside of the perspective review of Captain America 2 and we've just completed the good list great job
0: so we're at the end of our review then because there is no (laughs) bad
2: not so fast pretty much that's what I said
1: (laughs) just as every movie has the goods and this one has an exhaustive list of goods that I'm certain you guys are going to add to for us There is also the bad. Now, we had to dig long and deep for bads inside of this. And they are reasonably minuscule, but they are there. And at least a couple of them are colloquials that I hate seeing in movies. So they are there. Let's get to them very quickly. The dude is a specimen. uh, we're digging deep here to try and find bads, but one that uh, Chris and I could definitively agree on is, Paul, you uh, you are a fine-looking man, especially for your age. I just want you to know that. But I want you to know that if you and I were standing in, I don't know, let's say a computer technical store, mm-hmm. I Public. would never look at you and say, Paul, you are a specimen.
2: Right. Yeah, the, the compliment that that person pays Pays him, and I don't remember what the similarity was. But they have a similar hat or something like that. The, the answer
1: is it was dumb and shouldn't have been in the movie. And, uh, yeah.
2: <laughs> That's... now it's so, it's so quick and probably meaning meaningless. It is meaningless. But, it doesn't mean Jack. you know. As far as uh, bads go, if we if we didn't have that, we may not have anything. Now
1: the, I think the That's haha cool. moment here might be that if Chris Evans was standing in front of me, and I looked at him and I said, "Dude, you're a specimen." Yeah. I'm not kidding. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm totally serious. You you are you are ripped like a like like a bronze go go dancer. Dude. And I'm gonna awesome. I'm
2: gonna recommend that if you ever meet him, you not say that. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying. <laughs> I,
1: I, I will remember I that.
2: Can just go with that, okay? Sure.
1: I, I will start with that, and then I'll say, and this here, this is uh, this is Assistant Chief De Giuseppe, and he, sir, has recommended you the, are a specimen. Yeah.
2: He has recommended that I not say this.
1: <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Anyway, that's the first of what is apparently many bads inside this
2: film.
1: Just push a button. So the guy that is going to be Crossbones, Frank Grasso, was it? Paul, help me.
0: Uh, I don't recall. Boy, I you are a, just
1: full of fail tonight, aren't you? I am. You know what, though? You are a fail specimen, my friend.
0: <laughs> I really... <stop.
1: laughs> anyway, the guy the guy that plays... Uh, who is going to be Crossbones? Boy, what a way to get there! Anyway, the guy that who plays is going to be Crossbones. Guy has a gun to the back of the control room guy's head.
0: And hang on, he, hang on, hang on, Frank rillo
1: Frank Rillo, thank
0: you. You had, I think you had it correct, didn't you? Uh,
1: I think I said, I think I said Frank and I because I didn't know what to
0: call That's him. That's close enough as far as I'm concerned.
1: <laughs> okay, so uh, I think it's actually entertaining the way we've got it. So I think we'll leave it. Anyway, so we've got that guy, and he's got a gun to the back of the guy's head inside of the control room. Right. And he says, Look, dude, you launch those ships, or I'm blowing your head off. Right. And whatever he says. And he doesn't do it. And then you have the confrontation moment that we all love. And Revere is one of the best parts of the movie. Awesome. Right. What wasn't the best part of the movie is that after the gunfire and gunplay inside of that scene, he just
2: does it anyway. He leans
1: over and pushes buttons and walks away.
2: Right. Why didn't he do that? Why did you just do that to begin with? Right.
1: Right. So unless he went and RTFM on the internet about how to control these giant Hey, computer geek,
2: get out of that yeah, chair.
1: I got to uh, look something up on Google, man. Right. Let's see, helicarriers and secret base. Right. <laughs> but yes, we,
2: we are nitpicking. We
1: uh, are definitively nitpicking there. But it is a bad, and it's one of the things inside of any movie, regardless of whether it's as great as this film is or not. When just things can happen because Guy X sits at computer terminal, pushes a button, and then walks away and... Everything happens the way it's supposed to go. Yeah. I am a digital professional, mm-hmm. a professional podcaster, and I cannot sit at a computer desk, push a couple of buttons, and shit just works right. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: So it's definitively frustrating when not only a guy on a movie does it, but a villain on a movie does it.
2: Yep. It bothers Mike way more because he is a digital expert,
1: too. <laughs> it all depends on three cards. Yep, all the, of which need to be inserted in the exact same place of all of these super secure, super secret, never-before-seen helicarriers mm-hmm. that everybody can get to in the span of three and a half minutes. And go.
0: All right. I'm giving you that one. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is <laughs> no, one giving, no, I, 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 wait, I didn't. It I'm didn't, giving you that one. It's this a little one, too overly simplistic, a little bit too cliche. Yeah. But I, I but I could run with it. it, I, it I can it, run with I can't it. say it bothered me at any point. It did it did well, I it didn't that's bother the magic.
1: me. That's the magic of See? what Marvel is able to pull off with all of their properties. They mm-hmm. take the implausible, mm-hmm. they even take the impossible. Hey guys, how about this? How about we take the thing that is the size of a backpack for my daughter? Mm -hmm. Stick in some 16-foot wings, so a 32-foot wingspan. Mm -hmm. Let's shove that in and put it on the back of a guy that can fly. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a great idea. Mm -hmm. It's just totally unrealistic. It worked. But there it is. And so Marvel is able to do that, and they even did it with this. This is me, Mike Wilkerson, going to pluck in something mm-hmm. that doesn't make much sense so we can have a couple of bads right. on the ass end of this wonderful review of a completely awesome movie. Right.
2: Well, I mean, it
1: wasn't... Yeah, but it's true.
2: wasn't it, completely easy to get to. I mean, they did have to fly way up in the air and get into right. the secured location. Uh, and, and I
1: love that you've gone here because it's, <laughs> it, it is the sage old complaint we all all of you that are listening to two guys talking in general i know that you will go star wars was the definitive awesome movie mm-hmm. period paragraph yeah. right everybody yeah. paul right yeah oh yeah I'm okay awesome except of course for the seven miles of track that lead to the heart of our battle station twice. that we're going to have no protection on that you can shoot one missile into and destroy hey great plan Oh twice yeah, yeah. They did it twice. in two movies apart. But right.
2: I bought it. I'm good with
1: it. I, and I agree. <laughs> and because of the pace and the characters and the love of the franchises, right. we can all take a big giant bite of it and take a big swallow and go, mm, mm, can I have some mo? Right. We can do that. It's just that it's still there. Right. And the the depth of writing that they put into this film, how what could they have done that would have been a little bit thicker writing- Rather than, it all comes down to three cards. Cap, are you ready to put in the three cards? Ready and go. Three and a half minutes. Just a little more security. (laughs) Something. A lockbox like the carnivals have for cash box.
0: Right. Done. He's not getting in. Right. I guess guess they could have added something, just added a little bit more dialogue somewhere showing how these shouldn't work, but somehow they've simplified it so that they can.
2: It was some flaw that they overlooked.
1: Something that, you know, the, the, I thought where they were going to go, and this would have been a definitive even bad or bad, was if Black Widow gets on a computer terminal from her recently been electrocuted visage inside of the control right, room. Right, And she jumps onto a laptop and is suddenly able to hack the planet. Because right. that's the other one that kills me on something like this, is that right. instead of it being three short goals that have to be done in three minutes or we're all dead, Scotty. Instead of that scenario, it's somebody that just gets on and hacks the planet, and suddenly everything's just fixed, and then the bad guy (gasps) guffaws and then falls into a a pit of fire and roll credits. Right,
2: so it could have been worse.
1: Absolutely, it could have been worse. There's no doubt about it. Bucky could have went into a fiery blaze (laughs) and ended up bald. That's it. That would have been bad. And enroll credits. Right. So definitively could have been worse. Anyway, those are our very short listings of bads. And that's where we ask you guys, what did you guys think? Was there a bad that we missed inside of Captain America, the Winter Soldier? Let us know what you think by going to our website over at twoguystalking.com forward slash winter soldier. And tell us, what did you think of the bads inside of Winter Soldier? We are at an exhaustive break time. For the two guys talking perspective review of captain america the winter soldier gotta take a quick break but we will be right back with more great insight about the franchise of captain america and the marvel films be right back
3: what are your star wars action figures worth how can you make your own boba fett costume Looking for direction when it comes to whether or not you should contemplate that Slave Leia outfit at the next
0: local fan con? Look no further than the Galaxy Cast podcast, science fiction fandom, and more. GalaxyCast.com.
3: May the Force be with those who listen. Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can. With perpetual advertising. Here's how it works. Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? Find out more and launch a unique, perpetual advertising effort now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors.
0: Here at SongSpotters, we want to be your older
1: brother. Sort of. With so much new music at our fingertips, the streaming services
0: like Spotify and Pandora turn to algorithms to predict what song you'll like. It's impressive, don't get me wrong, but this isn't what music exploration was supposed to be. Because if what you get is what you've already liked, then how do you really explore new things? Remember when the way you found new music was your older sibling or cousin or friend? That personal connection to music you never would have selected for yourself. That made it so wonderful. We wade through hundreds of new releases every week so that we can bring you our weekly top five spots. We also leave behind a playlist of about 100 new tracks from the week's releases so that you can explore on your own if you like. Spotters, Music Discovery Podcast on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Break free of the algorithm.
4: Things in 1982
1: were a lot more simple. BMX bikes, the Versailles apartment complex in Schomburg, Illinois, the sweet, innocent kiss of Andrea
6: Schaefer, and of course, a little film from a man named Steven Spielberg
1: called E.T., science fiction the detail of a broken but still together family the relationships that were made when you were 12 ones that are never again truly realized
4: it seems a lot heavier than most remember but all of these things and more await you in the two guys talking perspective review of steven spielberg's et 1982 on the two guys talking podcast network Check it out now at twoguystalking.com. That's the number two,
6: guystalking.com.
4: Looking for a straightforward user interface on a cost-effective feature-filled multi-track recording software? Call off the search. Mixcraft from Acoustica has exactly what you're looking for. It's time to include reliable audio creation and editing software with real punch into your projects. Check out MixCraft now over at Acoustica.com forward slash MixCraft and start a new generation of audio creation and editing today.
1: Everyone, welcome back to the Two Guys Talking Perspective Review of Captain America, The Winter Soldier from 2014, directed by the Russo Brothers. We've talked about the hype, the money, the good, and the bad, but we've got more to talk about here during the Perspective Review of Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Guys, it's time to talk about our favorite scene. There's so many great scenes inside of this movie, I don't know that I can pick just one. And that's why I'm going to let you two go first. <laughs> Paul, you're up first. What's your favorite scene inside this film?
0: Uh, I am torn between two. All right. Why don't you give us both? And and we discussed both at length. So oh, okay. I'm not All right. Far into it. Sure. My two favorite scenes are the Nick Fury being attacked by the faux cops.
1: Okay. Thank you for uh, denoting and- that they're faux cops, not like Chris.
0: I'm sorry? (laughs) Thank
1: you for denoting that they're faux cops, unlike Chris. They're imposters.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. They're they're bad, bad men. Um, Unlike real cops.
2: That's correct. Thank you.
0: And uh, that scene and the elevator scene are my two favorites. Wow. There's just such a level of energy in both. But I think I have to go with the elevator scene because, as we discussed, uh, I really just want to take that scene and put it into slow motion and just watch it and dissect not only the battle scene, but then the direction that went into it and, and the choreography and and whatever special effects are in there. It's just such an amazing scene as it goes on on so many levels that I think that's gotta be my favorite.
1: There, there is a scene breakdown for that scene as well. inside the Blu-ray presentation, if, if you don't own that already, you really do need to get that Paul.
0: I do. And I just have to watch all the extras now. Yeah.
1: It's amazing. There's an entire disc of extras inside of that. It's, it's extraordinary stuff. Chris, what do you got? You know, I loved all
2: the action scenes. There's so many of them, it's just hard to pick.
6: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you know, I love the scene where uh, he is escaping from, I guess, the hangar. Mm-hmm. And he's riding on his motorcycle and mm-hmm. he takes out the jet and all that. Love that. But, you know, I thought about this a lot. The scene where they're at the Smithsonian and he's looking over all the nostalgia mm-hmm. and there, there's a one point in time he's looking over all the nostalgia, and it's all about him, and and so forth. And there's a little kid, and the kid looks up at him, and he doesn't even say anything. He just smiles at the kid, and it it makes the kid's day. You know, he tells him you know to be quiet, and mm-hmm. smiles at him, mm-hmm. makes the kid's day. That to me, and that could have been a detail that they left out. Oh yeah, they could have cut that out. Yeah, and not even put that in that scene, and still had it roll, but they took the time to put that in there and I have to appreciate it because it speaks to what type of person he is, Mm -hmm. you know, and we discussed it before he's uh, a world war two veteran soldier and his priorities are lined up for God, family, and country. And I think that that just epitomizes his, his take on what's important in life. I'm looking back, I'm reliving all these memories. Hey, you know what? There's a little kid there. I'm going to make his day. That's Captain America. That's what hit home with me. Maybe people disagree with me, but that's that's what really stood out, um, even though I loved all the other action scenes. That no. was my favorite.
1: H- hitting and waxing nostalgic is something I, I think I was originally tasked to do that with my efforts inside of two guys talking mm-hmm. over the years now. And in one week, actually it will be 11 years that we have been podcasting via two guys talking.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: I have come to realize that nostalgia is, it is our selling factor. Mm-hmm. Being able to go back to things, even things that were television series only four years ago is something that's allowed us to make a tremendous amount of money, uh, stature and friends you guys are both friends of mine right because of things that we have put together that are a piece of the nostalgia that i have made and so we've talked about every single scene that i know i was enamored with and then alluded to a couple of others i think my favorite scene has got to be where captain america literally says a soldier needs a uniform and instead of going back to that reasonably i don't mike wilkerson doesn't care for Uniform from the Avengers for Captain America. Instead, they go back to the Smithsonian. The original. And he goes classic to the original Captain America outfit that, uh, for those of you that haven't listened and didn't know that we already did it as well, that original Captain America review is available for you right now over at twoguystalking.com forward slash Captain America. And the function of the original uniform, even in this movie, it electrifies my mind. It, it makes me want more. I all I want to see is Chris Evans running around in that uniform. You don't even have to give me any story.
2: So you can call him a specimen. Yes, absolutely.
1: Okay. okay. I want to see a specimen going to the grocery store. Okay. I want to see a, a specimen playing Pac Man in that outfit. <laughs> it, it is an extraordinary outfit that fits every form and function and showcases classic Captain America that I really do endear. I I I, I can. If I had to have a giant ass back tattoo, mm-hmm. it would be the the bust of Captain America in that outfit. It's 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 extraordinary.
2: All right. Well, and doesn't it go deeper to the meaning of, you know, he doesn't he doesn't change. It, he goes back to his roots. He mm-hmm. goes back to the original uniform, and he sticks to what he believes and he sticks yeah. to those values. And I think that that's the deeper meaning of of what I read into it. Mm-hmm. And and I agree. Great. Great scene.
1: There's uh, inside of the original film, and this is kind of my second one, like you guys have talked about multiples, but my second one is there's something about Cap putting the shield on his back Mm
6: -hmm.
1: that I I can't quite define. That the silhouette that we kind of did inside the promo shot for the recording Mm -hmm. of this podcast is a really great sample. It's the two guys talking silhouettes Mm -hmm. next to Captain America standing outside of that hatch where he's about to jump out of the airplane. Mm -hmm. And on his back is his shield and there's something mm-hmm. not quite tangible that I, that I believe it or not I don't know how to describe mm-hmm. that is magical about him snapping the, the shield on his back and I love it I, I love it every time he does it inside of this that him kicking the shield off the ground after annihilating the guys in the, in the elevator Right. It, it's so nostalgic and it's not just because it's ripped from a comic book it's because it's good
6: Right.
1: After an ass kicking, you know what everybody would do if they could? They'd flick the shield off the ground that they didn't even really need to use to kick all these guys' asses. Right. (laughs) Right. I I love that, and I love what they conjure inside of Captain America for me.
0: Just just to call back to the comics again, there there was a time in the comics where uh, Steve Rogers basically had a secret identity. Uh, You know, it wasn't known to the world at large. So when he was in his civilian identity, he'd wear you know a sports jacket or whatever, and he would actually have the shield on underneath the sports jacket yeah. Yeah. on his back. Very but no one would notice.
1: Yeah. He was <laughs> really? just an extraordinarily built specimen Very of a man. Very interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm
0: awesome. thinking not the most realistic thing, but right.
1: whatever. I, I've met a couple of people that were kind of turtle man, so eh, I'm okay with that. <laughs> All right, so we've talked about our favorite scene. It's time now, during this Two Guys Talking Perspective review of Captain America, The Winter Soldier, to rate this film. Our scale works thusly. One is an absolute fail, which, by the way, if you guys say this movie was, you'll never be invited back for another Two Guys Talking. The ten, on the other hand, is the best, the awesomer, the can't-do-any-better. Uh, and then everything starts at a seven as, a, as an average. Mm-hmm. You then go up and down for pluses and minuses. No halfsies. Paul, you are up first.
0: Okay. A lot of times I look at the Marvel Universe of films, which basically started at Iron Man and has continued now up until Ant-Man. Mm-hmm. That, that's the Marvel Cinematic Universe yes. as exists today. And I try to rank them because in that pantheon of films, I like every single one of them. As far as I'm concerned, it's, it's going from very good to great. There's nothing that's below very good. This film is great. The mm-hmm. Avengers, the first one, mm-hmm. I would say is my favorite so far. I can see that. But that doesn't make it the best film. That just makes it my favorite. Sure. This, as far as I'm concerned, is the best film. It's the highest quality as far as the script, the acting, the direction, the special effects, everything combined. This is the best film. Right. It takes into account different genres. You have the superhero. You have the the political intrigue, uh, just action adventure. There's so much going on here. I'm always hesitant to say something's the best ever, just like I'm hesitant to say something's the worst ever. But I don't care. I'm giving this a 10.
1: <laughs> Paul, I love you, man. You are too cool. You rule the school, dude, seriously. That what what an awesome push. I love that. Chris, what do you got?
2: I gotta agree. I give it a 10 too. And wow. Wow. um it 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 just it hit every aspect of a great movie. It uh and like he said too, it hit this variety of genres, and that's difficult to do. Mixing mixing the various uh uh, characters together mixing the uh, stories you know with multiple cliffhangers and all the loops that they had to open and close great writing great production direction and uh, and characterization you know the dialogue and the way that they they molded all this together and I could go on and on taking it through a TV series back out to a movie and then it it just it flows so you know what else can you say it it doesn't really get much better than this it's a 10
1: yeah i think the perspective that i'm going to bring to all of this and paul's got a tiny little taste of it because he's sat in on some of the uh the the agents of shield reviews that we do is that to take any property uh, consider any of the other properties that have gone from small screen to large screen and then maybe back i think the only one that i can think of at the moment is x files it's going to be coming back to the smaller screen shortly so you've got the original television series across, I think it was 12 seasons. You've got two right. movies, both reasonably right. blah, well, whatever, multiple seasons. Right. Then you've got the two movies that were reasonably blah. Eh, they, they both had flavors. They both had imagery from X-Files. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then you've got that series coming back for what I think is a short run of eight episodes soon.
2: The original that, cast?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So Mulder and Scully are coming back.
2: Very interesting. So
1: that's a very interesting paradigm. Now, you've got a whole bunch of years between that as well, which is not indicative of what we saw right. for Winter Soldier, Captain America, and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So it's not right. one-to-one. Right. But it's the only other thing I can think of that's gone from, to, and back mm-hmm. inside of a television series that's going to be remotely successful. Asterisk. Right. We don't know what X-Files is going to do when it comes back on TV. Right. But that's an extraordinary achievement in its own. You've already mentioned that a couple of times. Right. When you take the valor of patriotism that isn't sickeningly sweet, that is realistic and something that you really do hold a value for, like what Chris is referring to in regard to patriotism and being a cop and knowing what to do and doing what's right and making sure that there's a stand that you can take with the things that you know are right. Right. And then showing that to other people who then also join your side. Right. Right. That's extraordinary, and I'm trying to think of another movie that's done that in the recent past, maybe maybe Independence Day, but it's yeah. an alien horde that you know are bad guys, not yeah. the guys that you've been working next to for 15 years, whatever right. it is. So, again, it's another, it's an anomaly, to go back to Chris's background, to be in the anomaly. Right. Uh, this movie is an anomaly in that it is not your standard fare. Uh, it lasted forever inside of the theaters, even though it was talked about referred to inside of several episodes of the television series and continued on even on the back end after the television show came back and gave us pieces of the story that are then stacked on top to this movie. Right. I don't know anything else like that. And unfortunately, I can only give this movie a 10. Right. Because (laughs) the first Captain America movie got a 10 also. Mm -hmm. So how do you... This is the conundrum that many of my hosts have told me, well, I'm never rating anything a 10 because then you're not leaving any possibility for anything being better. But something has to be the best. And this is is the pinnacle. This this grabs every enchilada, every pie flavor, and every ice cream succulent nature and throws it into one bowl and gives you a spoon and says, hot damn, let's have some.
2: And this is what other movie producers and directors and such should, should aspire to do and yeah. to be, right? Yeah.
1: Well, In particular, the writing por- the portion. Mm-hmm. What you and I and Paul haven't looked at at all is really who wrote this film. Right. Because I don't know who wrote this film. And and to, to find out who that person or people are, to make sure that we're coveting those people as writers, so that they'll get their asses back here and write some more of this. Paul had talked about uh, lots of films inside the Marvel Cinematic Universe being great. And I will point to a couple that I thought were, they were Marvel movie universe movies. Uh, The the one that I I just cannot possibly get behind is Iron Man 2. It, it, It wasn't there for me. And I know it's because I'm comparing it to the first Iron Man. The third Iron Man film was also kind of a miss for me. Those are, uh, we have reviewed the second Iron Man film, which you can find over at twoguystalking.com forward slash Avengers. In fact, everything that we've got that's Avengers based, all the characters are located there. But that third one, we still to this day have not reviewed. And it's because I can't find something to not just go in there and just start ripping. Um, There's a lot of great vision stuff that happens in there. Like the things we talk about being ripped out of comic books and showcased. That one is a, a cornucopia of stuff like that. But that story, Paul, the story of that third one, oh, it is super thin.
0: Well, I got to tell you, I watched that third one opening night. Me and the kids went, as, as has become our uh, routine. Really? And I walked out and I was disappointed. Okay, okay. So it's not okay. that I disagreed with you. Okay. However, several months later, it came out on home video. Uh-huh. I sat down and watched it again, and I enjoyed it. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll tell you what, Paul. I
1: will do this. I will give Iron Man 3 another look at. Uh, I have it on Blu-ray. I I am a devotee of going and buying the stuff that I know is going to make more money and more awesomer Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I go and buy things. So I did buy it, and I have it on Blu-ray. I will give it a watch, and maybe that's something else will pull you both in for that. Mm -hmm. Because as much as I loved this film, that one really does have my gall, mostly just because of the this the, the the like the button pushing at the end of this one and the those little things where you go oh, no movie would ever do that oh wait a second mm-hmm. they just did a whole bunch of that at the end of that movie mm-hmm. and the, the, there's a anyway anyway this is not the the iron man rip on perspective review uh this is the uh, captain america winter soldier perspective review but by the way chris pulled up the uh, the writer for the screenplay uh for this movie and it's Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, who mm-hmm. we got to get these guys on the show. Absolutely. Uh, I would love to know more about where this story took them. Right. I.e., okay, so we have a vast script of what's going to go into Captain America Winter Soldier. Right. So let's start here and let's hear all the things that got dropped. Right. Because I would love that.
2: And how did you come through that thought process? How did you blend those genres together? Yes. How did you make that work? How did you come up with that dialogue? How did you not have cheesy one-liners? Yes. Great.
4: Clever. Because,
1: yes. again, the the neat part about talking to someone like them, you'd then get to know where they're leaning to go and grab the answers or conjure the answers themselves. Right. And that's where I want more writers to go. Right. So, something inside of two guys talking we've been talking about since time immemorial is – All you got to do is write well. Right. I'm not looking for you to write Terminator 2 overnight.
2: And Hollywood Uh, writers. Yes. Take a look at these guys. (laughs) Yes.
1: You know, they Um, did it right. I am looking for someone to write something that keeps me entertained, doesn't jolt me in the disbelief pill moments mm-hmm. and allows me to enjoy what I'm watching and feel that I've gotten the value of the money I'm putting down right. whether it's movie tickets or the monthly cost I've got to pay for my cable bill. Right. That's all I'm looking for. I'm not looking for stellar and I love it when we get it like this film mm-hmm. but that's all I'm looking for. Right. And it's something that we definitely got to ask the writers about. That's That's tremendous. And so what do you guys think? What do you give Captain America The Winter Soldier? We gave it a collective 10 here inside of Two Guys Talking, about. we want to know what you think. Go to our Facebook presence. That's over at facebook.com forward slash two guys talking. Start up a new thread there or chime in on one of the ones that's there and tell us. What did you think in regard to rating Captain America, the Winter Soldier? I would be remiss if I didn't mention the soundtrack inside this review. I love going back to awesome reviews. And Alan Silvestri is the guy that provided the original Captain America soundtrack uh, tones and awesome Inside of the original film that are mirrored here inside of this one that is just piled upon more inside of this film. Uh, I love every minute of it. All the sounds, the feelings are conveyed wonderfully inside of it. And Remember, you can buy that soundtrack over at twoguystalking.com forward slash winter soldier. It's all they're waiting for you to buy right now. The franchise. It's one of the many things that makes the two guys talking perspective review, a perspective review. We get to look back on the time that since the movies come out and what's happened with it via the hype, the money, the good, the bad, and now the franchise. As all of you know, the franchise for Marvel anything at this point is gargantuan. It is a beast that breathes all on its own. Any property that is coming or has been through the corn combine of cash that we talk about all the time inside of Marvel is already making its cash a Rooney, always. And so, what do we talk about here inside of franchise? We know that there are going to be more Captain America films. We know that we're on the cusp of Captain America Civil War in front of us. It's going to be, a, again, a tremendous team-against-team movie inside of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. What else can you talk about that's more awesome than that at this point?
2: I don't know. How, how, how can good writing pull that off, too? I mean, is that, that's, is that going to... Is that going to continue to rise above where they're at and, and continue to set goals and such? Or is that going to fail? You know, and you're, you're getting into an area where you're going to uh, pit one superhero against the other. Is, is that going to fly with the audience? Yeah. And, and, and it's going to take, it's not going to be easy. It's going to take some really good writing and uh, some really good people behind the scenes to pull that off correctly. If not, I don't think it's gonna, it's gonna go well.
1: Paul, what are you thinking about Civil War?
0: It's gonna be interesting to see how they, how they do pull it off because the comic book series that that was based on, Marvel Comics Civil War, it was, it was at least in intention, they were trying to put two sides of the argument of the what they called Superhero Registration Act. And Iron Man basically led one side, Captain America led the other side against them in opposition. And they, in theory, presented it as a fair and balanced argument where you could understand the points of view of both groups. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, it was a failure because Captain America's point of view was presented as sympathetic and understandable, whereas Iron Man was presented as a prick. Mm. Uh, and, And that's really all that it came down to. He was a tool of the government and a prick. The motivation was poor, and, and I think they didn't make the effort to be fair and balanced, if you'll allow me to use that expression, mm-hmm. the way they claimed that they were going to be. And it ended abruptly with Captain America realizing that there was potential for collateral damage in their battle, and just calling a halt to it and surrendering.
2: Well, and that, that's interesting, and I, I, I would have to say, and I don't know, if, once you take this and you start going any kind of political with these stories, I think that you lose the audience. I think it can go south really bad if they try I agree, to, and it, I think
0: that's exactly yeah. what happened with the comic. I think the comic, yeah. at least among the comic book reading community, mm-hmm. was generally perceived as, as mostly a failure. Mm-hmm. You know, it had some pretty artwork uh, and, and some relatively high concepts, mm-hmm. but in execution I don't think it was as well done as it could have been. That doesn't mean that this cinematic version is going to be a, an adaptation of that exact story. Mm-hmm. I do anticipate that they're going to change the story significantly, and we're going to see a different thing. The biggest part about it was you know, they wanted the superheroes to reveal their identities and basically register with the government and, and not be vigilantes. In this particular cinematic universe, there really are no secret identities.
2: And it says here that the screenwriters here, Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, they are screenwriters for the Chronicle of Narnia film franchise as well as Marvel Cinematic Universe, having written the three Captain America films, The First Avenger, The Winter Soldier, and Civil War. So we are going to see these Mm. screenwriters back in Civil War, but if anyone is up to the challenge based on what we've seen from these guys, it's these guys. These
1: guys, yeah. There's something else that I, I have to totally congratulate my selective memory, uh, especially as I get older. I'm now 45 as we record this podcast. And when I read things on the Internet, I'm, I now have this unintentional button. Mm-hmm. So when I read something like uh, the the headline will be something like, those of you that love Civil War may not love the new movie. And I'll click on it and I'll begin reading it. And I have like this acuity and visual thing where I can read things, and I remember reading part of it, and all I remember from reading in the part of it was, it's not going to be like the comic books. I don't remember any of the other details inside of the article.
4: Okay,
1: I think that might be what Paul is referring to, and I think that's the only reason why I read it, is because I, I didn't want to know if it was one-to-one of trying to carry it through into the same property as they have inside the Marvel comic books to prey on the nostalgia factor of, Oh my God, it's civil war, man. Cool. That's not what we're going to have to worry about. That's Mm -hmm. all going to be there. You've got two sides. They uh, recently, they've shown the the teams of the sides Mm -hmm. so that you know that cap's team is these people and iron man's team, Tony Stark's team is these people. Okay. And they're, they're pitted against each other. One side's on the right, one side's on the left. I kind of look at it and I go, Yeah, but the vision would kill everybody. Right, right. (laughs) Uh, The the neat part is that it's not going to be one-to-one, and that's what my magical memory ability from reading that article has told me. So that and Paul's input leads me to a bunch of great, awesome, and yours is the exclamation point on it where it's going to be the same writers. Right. If those two writers have written the best comic book movies I've ever seen, Mm -hmm. I've got to trust them with my money and the third one.
2: Right, right. As a side note, they also wrote Thor the Dark World and created Agent Carter the TV series.
1: Okay, and I'm an Agent Carter devotee as is Paul.
0: Uh, Absolutely. And then, for what it's worth, there was another miniseries also considered to be a failure uh, not that long ago called The Age of Ultron. And what I can tell you is that the movie Avengers Age of Ultron is not an adaptation of that series.
2: Right. Right. So they didn't stick to that. So they might not necessarily stick to what the comic book said. I guess they've had success in the past. We'll see what they have to say.
1: We wish them a whole lot more. And I'm going to try to connect with them. Because, again, creating content that nobody can get anywhere else, like this perspective review of The Winter Soldier, Mm -hmm. is what we do here at Two Guys Talking. And having those guys on to talk about the magic that they've created inside of just these last two movies that we love from Mm them, man, you can't get that anywhere else. You just can't.
0: That would be tremendous.
1: Yeah. So we come to the end of an incredibly long but super detailed and satisfying perspective review of Captain America, the Winter Soldier. And we're wondering what you think. Tell us where you think the franchise is going. Is that Civil War adaptation going to happen where we've got the one-to-one conveyance of the surrendering Captain America and the technological prick of Tony Stark? I, uh,
2: I don't think so.
1: Uh, let's hope not. Let's hope not. Uh, but let us know what you think by going over to our website. That's twoguystalking.com forward slash Soldier. Click anywhere on the right-hand side inside that contact form and let us know what you think is coming inside of the next Captain America film. Until next time, I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts.
2: And I'm Christy Giuseppe, one of your other hosts. And I'm Paul
0: Spatero.
1: Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.